The Protect Your Neck Podcast. Top five dark horses in MMA for 2021 and 2022 with special guest co-host Spencer Kite. Let's go. This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I'm your host, Dan Tom. Analyst is work you can find over at MMAJunkie.com, but on this year program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we do break down high-level MMA, but in a slightly different way, especially on the rare UFC off week. Time to appreciate uh, kind of, uh, you know, history, if you will, although this is going to be a bit of a different top five. We're going to be still looking forward, and I think this is going to be a, a, still a very revisitable list for both me, my co-host, which I'll introduce here in a second, and as well as you, the listener, who can always contribute to the show on social media platforms via at the PYN podcast, where we don't pollute your feed. But without further ado, I got to welcome back to the program for, he was on a recap show last time. Now he's going to help me unpack the top five. It is UFC.com writer, Spencer Kite, at Spencer Kite, if you want to find him on Twitter. What is up, Spencer? What's up, man? It's good to be back. Thanks for, thanks for having me. I'm I'm so excited about this. This has been a thing that's been in my head for like months now since we've been kind of kicking it around. And so refining this has been, has been fun. It's yeah, it, it has been, man. I mean, like I was kind of, I was like, you know, let's just save it and let, we'll, we'll get right into it, uh, you know, for the podcast. But I'm like, there's a lot of these lists where there's, there's guys where you have tabs on, or maybe I made like previous dark horse lists that aren't for this um, category, uh, which I'll, I'll, I'll reference to um, when necessary. But Man, it is just, it, I, I think because we're so saturated with MMA, you tell me what you think, Spencer, is that it's so easy for us to forget uh, to slip through the cracks of like, not just cool fighters or fighters for like the hipsters or the analysts or this like, no, like legitimate fighters that could be making runs that slip through the cracks, it seems like. Yeah, it's, it's tough, right? Because you get certain fighters, certain athletes in certain divisions become kind of the it fighter or the fighter of the moment. And they're the one that we're, they're the one person that so much of the attention gets focused on that you kind of miss the two or three coming up behind them or the one that's on this parallel track. And then all of a sudden they show up and you're like, wait, where did, where did that, why didn't I know about that guy? And so I'm someone that, you know, I'm, I'm neurotic about this stuff. I'm, I'm the first to come out and say like, I'm completely obsessed with this sport. I, my days are, my days are consumed with this sport. I'm the guy that wrote a, I think it's 265 fighters at the start of the year, fighters I'm watching this year. So that tells you where my brain is at, and that's just UFC. So that tells you where I'm at in terms of like deep dives on divisions and 
and who I'm looking out for. And so this is the stuff that I love the looking forward to who's going to be somebody I need to think about a year from now or two years from now that when they're making their debut or their second fight, their third fight, what are the little things I'm looking for and I'm picking up to squirrel away in my encyclopedia for, for later reference of like, is it, has that improved? What did that look like this time? So to, to jump on here and do it with somebody, somebody like you is, is really exciting for me. Uh, ditto, man. Ditto. And I, I referenced my writing, but if you guys want to f- uh, follow more of Spencer's writing, uh, spencerkite.substack.com if you want to be a Keyboard Kimura uh, newsletter member there. Uh, if you want uh, even more Spencer, aside from what you see as far as the, the UFC feed. But uh, all good things from you, Spencer, which is why I wanted to bring you back on for one of these types of shows to tap that knowledge, right? Um, again, I mean, even me, man, I, I, you know, I, I still feel like a tough noob at heart, you know, uh, <laughs> I still haven't done the top five pride fights cause I'm going to feel like a, a fraud being that like the one pride fight I wanted to go to live here in Las Vegas, I missed and it ended up being one of my favorite cards of all time, all these years later. Um, so, but that being said, I always want to make sure I compensate by bringing on very knowledgeable guests like yourself. So thank you. And yes, we're going to be doing top five dark horses uh, in the next 18 to 24 months, basically in 2021 to 2022, who you see being in title contention, you know, or working their way into title contention from that time. Uh, You know, whether they're the champion in title talks, uh, that number one contender slot, which is a weird kind of official unofficial thing in our (laughs) sport. Um, And believe me, we are going to, you know, we are going to be making room here for politics. That being said, uh, from the opposite end to film the negative space of that outline, we also wanted to try to go, and, and we referenced this there on the original tweet, uh, is try to go outside the top five or top ten. And you know I tried to stay outside of those. Of course, there are different ranking systems, <laughs> which we'll get into. For example, I have a UFC.com ranking, obviously. Uh, Bellator.com, newly unveiled ranking. I pulled that up here uh, for me, Spencer. And then, of course, Biased, I know, but you know, long-standing media company, that cover that has always kind of covered both before Bellator launched theirs, which is MMAJunkie.com's rankings to kind of get a, a bit of a median. And um, I know rankings, boo-hoo, no one's ever going to agree on them. Uh, so I, this is not what we're trying to do here, but the fact is whether we agree on them or not, right, Spencer, they kind of are what they are. So we, we, we have brought them out for measuring sticks, but uh, in no way are they going to you know exactly dictate the lists here. Yeah, I mean, rankings to me, and, and I understand all of the arguments about the flaws and, and the challenges with them, and I agree, but they are a good guideline. I remember when they got introduced in the UFC, I wrote a column about it and just said, like, this is a thing that they're maybe not even necessarily for you or I are hardcore fans, but if you're a casual casual viewer, it's a lot easier to understand tuning in, flipping by on a Saturday, and you see number three so-and-so versus number six so-and-so than just hearing those names. I likened it to myself. I'm not a huge college football guy, but if I'm flipping through and I see that number two is playing number four and I've got nothing to do on a Saturday afternoon, maybe I'm going to tune in to watch some of that or college basketball as well. If you don't know necessarily who the teams are, but you see that that's a top 10 matchup or a top 10 team versus you know a top 15 team, that gives you an understanding of kind of the stakes and and the level that you're looking at. Never going to be exact, never going to be a complete predictor of of what you're going to see, but it gives you that kind of understanding of where people are. And so they may be flawed, but I think they're also functional and useful at times. 
Yeah, it's important. We do need something, right? And that's the problem with MMA, though, is when you get to with numbers or stats from traditional sports, the theories and themes are there. But MMA is so volatile, and it's its own thing, aside from being a combat sport, which is volatile in its own right, that it begins to be tricky. And then you have the matter of, you know, uh, unregulated, you know, uh, things not being regulated. So, you know, you have, uh, you know, uh, committees here or there, and there's a bunch of arguments, you know, all over the place. But the point is, uh, you know, we need some kind of a guideline here. And for me, that I'm going to make room for, obviously, you know, uh, especially with my hipster choices, I understand that these might not be the <laughs> sexiest guys that a promotion might not want to might want to market. Uh, however, I feel like there's a good argument um, for these guidelines in all of my picks, Spencer, as far as these guys could be in that title picture. They might not be champion. Um, they might not be the undoubted next in line to fight for the belt, but to be in that title talk, that top contention where they aren't now as the time of we are recording this, not to timestamp these episodes too much, but yes, uh, we are a day past April Fool's Day 2021. So we're going to be looking to projecting from that 18 to 24 month mark from now if you want to look back and give us props or make fun of us for our picks. Either way, we're glad you're here. Um, Spencer, uh, usually I, I try to give the guests the uh, the first, uh, you know, I, I scoot over and, and let you All take right. the steering wheel. We'll probably do a Chinese fire drill somewhere in the middle here. There, 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 there probably will be crossover again. Some of these could be early picks from now. Some of these could be, you know, a guy's way outside, but we, we, we'll justify how they make the paths, right? Some of these could be right. guys we're familiar with, and you're like, well, no duh, Spencer or Dan, but maybe it's something that me, and me or you have been calling for some time now, and they still, even now, uh, fit these guidelines. So it could be all over the place from new to somewhat familiar faces, I'd argue, right, Spencer? Yeah, it could be, and, and I want to preface mine by saying I kind of stayed away from some of the probably more obvious choices. So, like, I'll throw a name out there that, a lot of people would probably suggest that we got some feedback when you put out that we were going to record this, you know, Sean O'Malley's name pops up a lot. He's already been, I think ranked in the top 15 very briefly before the Cheeto Vera fight. He's a guy that everybody understands is already on the come up at bantamweight. And so I already expect him to be there. I left him on my list. It doesn't mean I don't think Sean is, is capable of that. In fact, I think he has championship level talent and I wouldn't at all be surprised to see him be in that championship mix in this period that we're talking about. But he felt kind of too obvious to me. And so I didn't want to just come on your show and be Captain Obvious and throw a bunch of like, as you said, no shit Spencer picks. And so that I, w I want to preface with that so that people aren't like, these guys don't, this guy comes on and he doesn't even think of these obvious people that he's just picking randoms that maybe I haven't heard of or, or who are a full two years away. But that's sort of my caveat to start here. Yeah, I, I, that's a perfect one. You're not burning anything. Uh, I think I, I will mention Sean O'Malley, not for this list, but um, for the structure, because I think there's going to be a lot of fun stylistic talk too, right? Because there's some forecasting in this talk in order to yep. kind of uh, justify our picks, if you will. So, yeah, I think we're going to be talking about a lot of names, which is great. Uh, and why I'm excited. And I'm kind of sweating now. So you guys, by the way, just genuine. <laughs> because I, I do like, and especially if I want to gen generate, you know, you see people see what you like. So I want to generate attention to the list. So I, I try to reward and acknowledge people without getting too into it. Of course, me and you, Spencer, will weigh in on the listener list here on the show. That's what it's for. Um, but I, I didn't really look at the list. So I didn't see O'Malley's name pop up when you said that. Now I'm like, Ooh, I didn't double check to see, you know, if my list is stupid. So you guys are really getting the real <laughs> genuine Dan Tom list here or where my head's at. Just peek behind the curtain there. So nice. 
I'm excited to see the listener list as well as yours, Spencer. Spencer, why don't you lead yeah. us off with number five? Number five doesn't mean that it's bad. In fact, it's good. It made the top five. There's a, there's a lot of names that can make this list, but what made that five slot and why? So after my not wanting to go with Captain Obvious right out of the gate, I'm going with a fairly obvious one right out of the gate. Um, Miranda Maverick is my number five. Um, fought just last week. Looked great against Jillian Robertson. I know a lot of people look at that middle stanza and go, oh, well, she was in some bad spots. I look at that and go, she survived on the ground against a high-level grappler. She herself is a very good grappler. I feel like that got lost in sort of the commentary or the understanding. That was her kind of big strength as she was coming into the UFC, Mm -hmm. was that grappling pedigree. We've seen a lot of her striking. We've seen some improvements. She's now got two wins in the UFC. And the other part of it for me and, and part of my thinking in putting this list together and and narrowing down my top five was looking at the divisions and looking at who's ahead of these athletes and what the path could be. And so you look at the flyweight division outside of kind of the top three or four contenders behind Valentina Shevchenko, it feels pretty wide open to me. There's a lot of similar fighters with a similar amount of experience, similar kind of skill sets in terms of how much they bring to the table, what they bring to the table. And I think somebody like Miranda Maverick, who is a fluid athlete, who clearly is strong, who made great in-fight adjustments in her first fight in the UFC against Liana Jojua, is somebody that can kind of hit a fast track and hit a lane where two more good wins and we're probably talking about a top five opportunity. And so just beats Jillian Robertson, I think her next fight, she's now ranked, I think she... Climbed into the top 15 with the latest update to the UFC rankings. Her next fight is probably against somebody in that 8 to 14 range ahead of her. Win that one and you're looking at a top 10 spot. Win that one and and you're into contention. And so that for me, she felt like the perfect sort of kickoff for this list that encapsulates a lot of what I look for in putting something like this together. I love that you picked this. I love that you picked this for number five. And uh, it's a sentiment on why I think we, we get along. This was almost my number five, man. And I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy you brought it up because it wasn't just because, and, you know, I hope I'm not spoiling any of my lists. It wasn't just because I wanted to find room to give some ladies some love, but I wanted to do it justifiably so. Uh, I'm not going to do things just to do things. Um, I, I, I very, you know, especially with the role from an, an analytical perspective, I really got to, you know, put biases and all these different types of things aside and just judge things for what they are. But, you know, to that point and not even being, you know, a contrarian, clever a hipster about it, but you're, you're absolutely, I'm 110% agree with you on what you said, especially with the flyweight division. Um, for all the criticisms you can say, it kind of fits this list where there's going to be fast tracks up. And perhaps it was me trying to counter away from recency bias, although there's a more solid reason that I'll get into here on why she didn't end up making my list, albeit this close. Um, Even the commentators themselves were signaling like they knew what was coming. Like, let's hope this girl doesn't get rushed. You heard them say that on the commentary. Because you could see that. She didn't just have the skills on the ground, which was, again, to your point, um, yeah, it looked scary, but if you knew what you were watching, like she was still making really smart choices despite yep. being in the wheelhouse of a dangerous grappler like Jillian Robertson. And although I didn't score that 30-27, I was much more sympathetic to anybody who did based on the damage rulings more than, for example, right. the Kunitskaya Vera 
of Yerophite that happened a few weeks prior uh, because not just um, less trouble, less submission attempts versus more striking, more meaningful striking, uh, more strikes landed at that end flurry, but, um, and it's very subjective, but you could argue that Jillian Robertson almost w was going to be out of there. Um, it, it was starting to look like who I'm going to mention here, Meno Fidio, Firo. I'm yep. sorry, I, I, I mispronounced that. Uh, I'm going to mention her here in a second, but it started looking like that. So, you know, if you almost get a fighter out of there, then absolutely this damage emphasis that, granted, we, I feel we're still overcorrecting the real toward. I do agree we should steer yeah. toward that direction, not overcorrect toward that direction. It should have gone. Uh, that I, I don't have, a, I don't have a, an issue. I'm very sympathetic to that 3027. And I know my man Brad Tastrick brought up, which was really valid, that you know probably not the best move to go back into the grappling round three. However, if we're going by the theory, which many judges and other people score by, that she almost got her out of there, and the fighter knows best, maybe she felt you know Gillian, Gillian Robertson didn't have much left, and it was one of those things where it's like you know the typical club and sub, you, you, you overwhelm them on the feet and you follow them to the ground. But uh, if that's the worst, you know, uh, criticism. You know, I, I I still think she's very technical. She has physicality that's going to take her a long way. And rounding rounding this out, uh, as I'll, I'll I'll kick it right back to you, Spencer. Another reason why she didn't make my list is because uh, Ferio uh, canceled her out with me because I put a little arrow pointing to Amanda Ma Maverick. Um, so I agree with you, uh, head to head. Um, I, I think she's going to have the higher potential, especially if you look at who she's booked against. I think Ferio's booked against Marina Morose. And Moroz, although she's right. been on a uh, an unforeseen resurgence, if you will, um, she's still not in the rankings, right? Whereas, uh, you know, um, Miranda Maverick, especially with win over Robertson, um, is much higher in that regard. Uh, so I, I put Maverick over Faro. However, Faro, even though she's not as experienced as Maverick and still needs much more experience as well, in my opinion, she is a striker compared to Maverick being, right. although she can strike Maverick, primarily being a grappler, and we just got a French champion, by the way. And uh, not to spoil our list, but I'm going to guess that there's going to be a lot of European from each side of that continent um, on our lists. And the UFC, from wanting to you know, get European stars to try to break into that French market, plus striker, um, I think Ferriero is going to have a real fast track there. So I wanted to give a shout to both those ladies to kind of uh, coattail on your number five, but, but, but uh, just to justify why I guess they kind of canceled each other off. They're so good. Yeah. For sure, Menelfirio looked great in her debut. Um, absolutely ran through Victoria Leonardo, who had some success in Invicta, looked great on the Contender Series, beating a highly regarded prospect in Chelsea Hackett. Um, I believe she was an IMMAF uh, champ as an amateur. So those are things, and, and there'll be one of those on my list as we get to it. Those are things that kind of factor in. And so I agree with you, There, the potential is there. You mentioned the broadcasters talking about, I hope she doesn't get fast-tracked. That's one of the notes for me that was one of my takeaways last weekend was, as great as she looks and as good as she looks and as clearly as there is opportunity, please make this a 18-month to 24-month climb as opposed to a 12-month climb. Because I think a little too often, the UFC strictly plays the results and doesn't play the long game mm -hmm. the perfect example to me is a guy like edmund shabazian goes out looks great in his first looked okay in his first fight got the win over darren stewart then goes on a nice run and get some finishes you come out of that fight with brad tavares and nobody does that to brad tavares and you just think we got to give him the opportunity and then you discover that it's a bridge too far and suddenly 
you've got a 22 year old, 21 year old, 22 year old who needs to take a step back and needs a, and clearly needs just more experience, more time in the cage. And so my hope for Miranda Maverick is that she, her team, the UFC all get together and say, we, we see where we're going. We want to be there. I loved her comment this week of if I've got to go through the sister, if I got to go through one sister to get to the other, then I'm up for it. That to me feels like the right approach. Let me just work my way there, slow and steady. I'm ranked. It doesn't have to happen tomorrow. I can take two years, gain more experience. I'm, I'm 23 years old. I can keep getting better. And by the time I'm 25, I'll be ready to go and, and ready to do it. So hopefully all parties take their time and, and aren't trying to hurry this. I agree. Yeah. And, you know, I know there's also talk she comes from a really small camp, uh, yep. but I'm not going to put throw my hat in on whether she should stay with or go to the big. I, I just want her to have the time to figure that out for herself. So for to sure. your point. So, yeah, I, I agree there. Um, all right. My my number five, I guess, huh? Um, You're gonna, up. I, I got to go with uh, <laughs> this guy. This guy originally was going to be higher on my list just because it's, it's I don't know about you when, when this list came to mind. Um, the first three names I wrote down, uh, one of them's a number five. One of them's a number one. And the other is an honorable mention, like right on the cusp. So, in other words, just because the first names that come to your mind, you should put... Right. You should put weight. There is a reason why they're the first names. However, it doesn't always shake out that it's going to be, right. you know, it's going to list down the way, right? Um, and that could go for you, for anybody making these lists. However, he did still make the cut. Um, I am still uh, very high on him. He's he uh, he's outside the rankings. He had a matchup that fallout that perhaps could have got him right on the edge of the 15. Um, but that is that is Armand Sarukian. Um, I picked him to lose against Islam Makachev, but I was telling everybody that could listen to me that this 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 kid is, is for real. This line shouldn't be that wide. I'm going to pick Makachev, but, you know, everyone dumping the, the dump trucks thinking, oh, it's, it's some random guy they're getting to fight Makachev on it. I don't think it was short short notice, but it was a shortened camp. Um, right. I don't think it was the original matchup that was supposed to go. Like, like most of Makachev's, right, there's all these weird reasons uh, around his own, his own career and fallout. Um, and his name will probably come up in just conversation as far as title paths if you're talking about anybody in this division. And I know that he is a standout guy as far as, you know, Makachev ranked number seven. And you kind of see his name in there. You're like, well, how, how, how is, uh, you know, Sarukin going to get past that name? Or, uh, you know, and, uh, he already lost him. But if you really look at it and you look at the names and you just look at Sarukin's age, and I know this is for 18 yeah. to 24 folks, um, which is probably why he's more lower on this because even if he doesn't quite fulfill me here uh to our exact guidelines uh, i'm confident enough in him spencer to put him on the list because i feel like over time he's gonna he's still gonna make me look good and because he like a lot of these prospects maybe i'm biased um you know when but when they have wrestling and the ability to strike whether it's boxing or in sarukian's case kickboxing he actually has a very kickboxing game uh, can actually throw meaningful spin kicks and do things like that as well. Some head kick knockouts to his record. Um, I, I think that, that that is just huge, and he doesn't move stiff. Uh, he doesn't move stiff like a lot of wrestlers and stuff learning how to strike. It trains with a really good camp tiger Muay Thai, who's, you know, just racking up champions from Peter Yan, or if you want to count, uh, you know, the Shevchenko, uh, Valentina Shevchenko, and, you know, other fighters who could be on this list, so I don't want to mention their names quite yet. But they are on that cusp of really just bringing in international talents. 
blending in real Muay Thai, applicable Muay Thai into, you know, plus the wrestling talents of American wrestling coaches um, and, you know, a really uh, geared toward MMA. So, um, you know, the age, the camp, the pedigree, obviously with the freestyle wrestling, you know, uh, you could argue it's not as, uh, you know, applicable as folk. And I do hope he kind of, you know, gets more of those kind of Habib meta. Maybe there's more kind of folk style rides and, and, and those kind of things because, you look at a guy like Makachev, you're like, oh, Makachev is a better submissions than him. You know, he, the wrestling was competitive, but Makachev... Yes and no. It's, it's Makachev is such an intelligent grappler, uh, arguably more technical than Khabib. And I know people say this now. I've been saying this since 20-frickin'-15. Um, I'm, I'm not discrediting Makachev, but it's going to take a lot of ground for a guy like Sarukian to catch up to Makachev in the grappling meta. And I just think that Makachev... I think that Sarukian, that's not his, his route. I think he really needs to be a GSP um, yep. to where he can just, when he when he does get the experience and get some more quality wins to where he does meet Makachev down the road, I could see him just denying Makachev the wrestling altogether and forcing Makachev, who, even though he's not athletic as Khabib, he looks like he's been doing some real strength and conditioning work. That being said, I'm still suspect about Makachev's chin, you know, which we saw um, Adriana Martins uh, test. And Adriana Martins also tested another guy on my list who I'll bring up later. Probably gave him away <laughs> to your hardcores that know. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, so, so again, if he forces him into that striking match or, for three or five rounds, I, I, I know Makachev's bigger and Sarukian's not the biggest for lightweight, but he is athletic enough with the wrestling. Right. Whereas Frankie Edgar proved you just need, the, you know, the transitionary wrestling. You could really, you know, you could, you know, you fight outside of your weight class. You need that wrestling, though. Um, Long-winded here, but I, I still believe he has the building blocks. He just needs the time to uh, further blossom. He might not make this 24 to 18, but uh, he makes my number five. Yeah, He is on my honorable mentions. He was on the, the short list that started as a very long list that got whittled down to a short list that then got narrowed down to five. He was a tough, he was a tough cut for me um, for all the reasons you just said. 24 years old, and so... As you're saying, it may not happen in the next two years, but oh, then he's still not even in what we consider generally an athletic prime of 27 through 32, <laughs> which gets a little extended in MMA. If you look at MMA, I think that's another thing that we kind of misjudge at times when we're looking at prospects and, and when people are going to be ready. We sort of think, oh, in that late 20s range, which is your athletic prime for things like football and basketball or hockey or whatever else, but in MMA, it feels more like your early 30s are kind of those best years because you have garnered that experience. You have garnered that cage time. You've learned from some mistakes. You've got the grown man strength that you've grown into and built into. And so for a guy like Saryukin, who, as you said, looked very good against Islam Mahashev on sh kind of short notice in his debut, has gone out since and put together three straight wins, um, outworking everybody that he's faced on the ground. And it's not like he's just been in there facing strikers with poor wrestling and just ragdolling people. First win was against Olivier Aubin-Mercier, a guy who is a very good grappler, a judo mm -hmm. practitioner. Second one is against Davi Hamosh, who is a world-class Brazilian jiu-jitsu specialist. Maybe doesn't necessarily have the wrestling, but has that grappling ability and, and couldn't do anything against mm -hmm. Saryukan and then went out and, and beat Matt Frivola in a weird matchup that came together 24 hours earlier, yeah. but still went out and, and did what he needed to do in a fight where, you know, that could be a letdown. That could be a moment where just things go awry against the tough kind of gritty out Matt Favola. 
but looked really good and, and absolutely made my honorable mention tough cut list. Nice. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we'll see where he goes. Just wanted to give him, uh, I guess, more than mentions since he's on my list. But we'll go to number four now. What made your number four, Spencer? So my number four is probably the person that is the furthest away from me right now. Um, but kind of wanted to get him on this list because I just think the the limited experience, the limited exposure we've had to him makes me really sit up and take notice. It makes me really high on him. It's Tafon Chukwi. Um, he's a middleweight coming off the contender series, trains with Team Lloyd Irvin. So he's he's training with Sadiq Youssef. He's training with uh, Eve Edwards is out there doing work with that camp as sort of a coach and, and guide. I mean, this is a dude like we're all, you know, passionate and, and cult favorite cult followers of, of Thick Willie Knight. This is a guy that beat Thick Willie Knight and beat him pretty handily. Um, if you saw him in his debut, so even if you just kind of skip past the Contender Series fight, and it's not that it wasn't a great performance, he looked great, but you know, Al Montevau, solid, but just kind of, just kind of a guy that's going to top out to me as a tough out on the regional circuit. So Chukwe goes out, gets a good win, shows some stuff that you're like, okay, now. When now I understand why there's some hype around this guy because he's throwing head kicks and he's he's doing all this stuff. The thing to me was the Jamie Pickett fight where he's in there throwing these little, he's just crafty, just these little cheeky foot sweeps every time they clinch up that when you think, okay, this is a guy that's in his fifth fight that's 25 years old, that's 26 years old now, that he's he's out there doing this, Imagine where he's going to be in two more years. Imagine where he's going to be when he gets that conditioning down even more. When he gets some of that just professionalism of understanding, I'm training every day, I'm eating right, I'm sleeping right. All the things that more and more of these young athletes are starting to understand because the guys before them maybe didn't and are now passing that on. I just think the growth potential for him like the curve could just skyrocket. I wouldn't be, he's a guy to me that I wouldn't be surprised that you see him in his next fight and he has a fight book against a guy with one of the greatest nicknames in MMA, the Iron Turtle, John Young Park. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see him come out and look like he's, like see him taking those giant leaps forward every fight if he's putting four and five months between fights because I think athletically, talent-wise, the raw materials that we've seen, it's there. And I, I don't want to just make the easy, both from Cameroon, Francis Ngannou right, right, comparison. Right, right. But there's some Francis Ngannou potential to this dude if he's able to process information and synthesize that into application the way that his countrymen did. And from that first fight against Jamie Pickett, seeing some of the stuff he did in the clinch, I got really excited and just like, I think the thing I wrote coming out of it was, where do you see this dude in three years? Like, where's he going to be when he's 28? So again, kind of like you're, you're number five. Maybe he doesn't hit the two year target, but at some point down the road, this is a guy that I see being a factor in the middleweight division. 
Man, you forget that that guy's only like around twenty five. He looks like he's twenty five, going on like thirty nine. Right. You know right. what I'm saying? Like he looks like. Yeah. Uh, now I'm trying to think of a whole a old bo- boxer comparison, but like he looks like he looked like like Ken Norton, like when Ken Norton was like at the end of his career. <laughs> but this guy's like twenty five, and he's just built twenty six, and he just you're like, there's no way that man isn't thirty five. <laughs> Yeah, it's insane. I mean, and I mentioned applicable Muay Thai earlier. I emphasize that. And that goes perfectly to your choice here because it's something that I always like, whether you are a striker or a physical force, which he checks obviously both those boxes. Like, yes, you, you need to learn some jujitsu, but more specifically get-ups. Um, yes, you need to learn wrestling, but more specifically counter-wrestling. Um, but he has, you know, he's got some anti-wrestling striking assaults in there, some knees, some uppercuts he'll mix in. Uh, but I love it because he will mix the targets, body, leg, and head. And he's not like, like you can see why he beat, uh, talk about passionate, you, you came to the right place for passionate Thick Willie fans. <laughs> for Thick Willie. But, nice but you, you, you could see why, because the thing about Thick Willie is like, he totally looks like the guy that's going to be like, Rogan's going to be like, you know, those oxygen, those, those muscles need oxygen within like the first, that's you know. Right. 10 seconds of the fight, but Thick Willie's kind of has like a Derek Lewis thing where he'll give bad positions and take bad shots and he'll make comebacks late even though you look at his build and he should be gassed. Right. And I, I, uh, but you could see a guy like uh, Tafon being a problem because even at middleweight, his first fight at middleweight, which they didn't give a, a rumor, but he was rumored to cut anywhere between 36 to 41 pounds on fight week apparently, which is insane. So that's bad. I hope he doesn't try to recreate that. But... He almost has every excuse to try to get away with it because he didn't look drained at all. Like talk back to the back to the Rogan note. Like I say that because it's 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 very apropos because you know joke about Rogan and being you know pulling the trigger early on that narrative all you want. There is some truth to that, and it is god dang impressive to see a guy that muscular in a weight class for the first time to just have consistent steady output and smart movement right. too. He's working in the clinch. Back to that applicable Muay Thai. Uh, you know, like he looks like a guy who puts in his neck wrestling reps, which is like, could you imagine being paired with him for neck wrestling? It's like, <laughs> I'm supposed to wrestle what, coach? Like, <laughs> there's no neck yeah, on Tafon. He's, he's just a, he's a truck, man. And as you're saying, to go 15 minutes in that kind of middleweight debut and and know that there's opportunity to improve that cut, to figure out the walking around weight a little better, to to get the nutrition down, to to get all of those steps that come with finally being in the UFC and having a little more money than you're making on the regional circuit and a little more opportunity and access to stuff like the PI and the great people out there that can help you tailor all of that stuff. He just looks to me like a guy that, as we said, it may not be the two-year window, but again, middleweight is, is sort of in a changing spot. That's the other part of it for me is that Outside of those few, again, much like flyweight for the women, outside of those top few contenders, there's a lot of kind of older guard that have been in that position in the top 15 for the last couple of years that feel like there's opportunity for some change. And we've seen it with a few fighters in the last couple of years. I think we'll see it more with a couple more over the next few. And so depending on those leaps and bounds that I think he's going to make, this feels like if it isn't two years, it'll be three years, four years, but somebody that we'll probably be hearing from in the future. Yeah, man. I mean, I'm looking even just from five to 15. 
And even right now, I think he's competitive with almost everybody outside of stylistic bad matchups slash possible late career resurgence in Weidman and Gastelum and Tavares. Outside of those names, he's competitive with everybody else I see on that list like right now. So you're not crazy to to uh, to put him on there. I mean, do I want to see him rush? No, but no, to, to, right. to your point, um, yeah, not crazy at all. Great choice. I didn't even have him as my honorable mentions. I wrote him down for your list here as I'm keeping track, so... So, fantastic choice. No crossover yet, though, Spencer. So, we're going to keep going here with my number four. Um, this one, man. I'm uh, I'm jumping over to Bellator for this one. I don't know how much uh, uh, Bellator is going to be in your list. I tried to get cheeky, folks. And, like, for example, I'll burn this. Like, I even looked over at the PFL. But, one, they don't really have their brackets listed. And even the names that, I'm, that I, I refreshed myself with them being signed. Um, no one you would see as a dark horse, much less, you know, uh, relevant to the worldwide rankings. No offense to them. But Bellator, I do feel like um, if you wanted to get cheeky, which I tend to get my hipster picks there, number five, I'm going to kind of do it here with number uh, four because this guy is somebody who I've always, is an early guy, uh, back when he fought with the UFC, was somebody I had my, my, my eye on. And when I they had Mads Burnell as a big underdog to Mike Santiago. I was one of the few and far between that I saw picking him from media to, you know, MMA gamblers alike. And people saying, oh, he's only got the Japanese necktie. Uh, he doesn't have striking. I'm like, I don't know, man. I, I, I'm looking at w what footage was available at this time. And I'm like, this guy looks like he could box. And sure enough, he gets to, he wins that fight and gets to the UFC. And even, you know, striking analysts that I, I respect are like, man, this Mads Burnell guy. And uh, he has a theme that may pop up, that uh, pops up a lot on all prospects, to be honest. It's called the prospect loss. You lose by submission, right? Conor McGregor got, could kind of rest on those for a while until they kind of became uh, perhaps habits at this point. But, uh, you know, everyone has that prospect loss you can't condemn them for. Uh, however, like someone that may or may not be on uh, my list or our <laughs> list, uh, Mads Brunel gets, you know, uh, gets one, you know, right at the end of the third round by submission in a fight that he's otherwise winning against Arnold right. Allen. Again, another another touted prospect. Uh, and again, Mads Brunel coming through as a dog, making your boy look smart here. And then he loses. And I'm like, oh, crap. And then he gets cut. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what happened. Yeah. Uh, but since then, folks, uh, if you've uh, lost track of Mads Brunel and you only watch UFC, which is which is fine. I know it's, there's a lot to keep up. But yeah, he's went one, two, three, four. He's five and zero oh since then. Fighting for respectable places like Cage Warriors, where he went 4-0. Just went over to Bellator uh, with a grounded power in round one uh, victory um, over Darko Banovich. And now he's set to face oh, Saul Rogers' bout got canceled. Uh, that was for today. That was supposed to be going down, uh, of course, for Bellator 255. So that sucks we don't get Mads Brunel, but... Uh, Man, uh, he's only been getting better. He does cross-training over at Extreme Couture with my guy Dennis Davis, who was a big part of not just Eric Nixick, who I always give a shout to, and I'm glad to see him giving his deserved shout. But like Eric himself said, uh, Dennis Davis, who has really good single-leg drills against the cage, man. He's been doing them for over a decade now. Taught me uh, a lot of single-leg stuff. But uh, Dennis Davis works a lot with... Um, not just Mads Brunel, but uh, I think from Rumble Sports over there in Denmark, a lot of those guys kind of cross-train over at Extreme Couture. So he's getting those high-level looks. And uh, I, I'm just really high on Mads. And I know Bellator is 145, even if I'm trying to be, you know, uh, you know, cheeky here and base it within the parameters for a Bellator title. Um, I honestly think he beats everybody uh, outside of the top, you know, the top three, which is uh, what? We got McKee, Pitbull, and... Um, Emmanuel Sanchez, right? 
I would take him over. I would take him over Borix. He would have to survive some storms. I definitely take him over Pedro Carvalho right now. Uh, I would take him over Daniel Weichel because Weichel, even though he could give him the vet lesson, not at this point. Weichel, right? Fifty-two fights, uh, older cat. Aaron Pico is a, is a deceptively tough match for everybody because he's on a positive route. So uh, I would not be confident against Aaron Pico. He's going to have to survive a couple submission scares against seven-ranked J.J. Wilson. Uh, got love for Germany Kennedy, but I see him beating him. I definitely got love for Taiwan Claxton, but I see him surviving that storm. Um, and I would, you know, and then under Taiwan Claxton, they got Mads Brunel at number 10. So he's right at that number 10 ranking for Bellator rankings, not worldwide, obviously. He hasn't done enough right. for that. But uh, still, man, I know it's kind of on a on a on a ledge here. But if Bellator is going to keep you know snatching up these really good prospects from Europe and stuff, then um, you know we got to give them the credit where the credits due. So uh, Mads Brunel is a guy that deserves respect. It's a great pick. It's a great pickup for Bellator. Um, as you said, you you go back and you look at that UFC run, and it's one and two, and people look at just kind of the results and go, I oh, went one and two, and got submitted in both, and he got bounced. Well, one was against Michel Prezerich, who is an absolute fire hydrant. Uh, probably missed weight. I'm going to pull it up here if I can. Yep. He fights at welterweight. Probably missed weight for that fight. <laughs> yep. <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Short notice, by the way, for Bernal. Took two weeks' notice, I think. Kind of is a thing that happens with Michel Prezerich, who is coming back after like two years off Yep. Uh, later this month. And then the Arnold Allen fight, as you said. Completely dominating that fight until Arnie grabs a choke at the end of the end of the third round. And look, that's a that's a positive sign for Arnold Allen for what he's capable of. But it feels like what Mads Burnell did in the first like 14 minutes of that fight just kind of got lost to people's memory because of the result. Mm-hmm. I think this is a great pick. It was great to see him have success in Cage Warriors, where I believe he claimed the title. And then to see him get this opportunity, I, you mentioned he's over there and in Vegas cross-training at, at Extreme Couture. I think he's a guy that absolutely can make some noise in that 45 division in Bellator, where Pitbull's beaten not everybody, but a lot of the guys at the front of that line. And so they're going to be looking to get some of this young talent and some of this newer talent moving forward. And so a couple good wins for him. It sucks that the Saul Rogers fight got canceled for visa issues, I believe, with Saul Rogers. Um, He'll get an opportunity. There's a lot of good fights in that division. 45 is great no matter where you go. And so there's always going to be good fights. Some of the names you mentioned in there, I would would pay to see him fight any of those guys. And so the opportunities will be there for him. And, And if he gets one or two more wins in Bellator, then that opportunity to be in a top five fight, to face an Emmanuel Sanchez, to face a Daniel Weichel, um, to face an Adam Boric, who I know is, mm-hmm. is scheduled to fight Jeremy Kennedy pretty soon, even the winner of that, those opportunities will be there. That puts you in line. That puts you in this group that we're talking about. So a great pick. Awesome. Thanks, man. I feel like I, feel like I was throwing a, a left field ball there. But uh, since we still have, have yet to have some crossover, which I feel <laughs> could start to change here, we're going to keep the same order if that's cool with you, if you can lead off yeah. with your number three, Spencer. So my number three is somebody who's fighting next weekend. It's somebody that I have been screaming about for a long time. I had the opportunity to speak to him last week. There will be a feature on UFC.com about him in the coming week. It is Jack Tank Shore, um, bantamweight. I don't understand why people aren't more excited about him. Maybe it's me. Maybe you can tell me why people aren't more excited about him. 
But uh, 12 and 0 as an amateur. I mentioned earlier with Manon Fioro, um, she won basically an amateur world title at the IMMAF World Championships. Jack Shore did as well. Um, 13 and 0 as a pro with 12 finishes, including 2 and 0 with two finishes in the UFC. He's 25. Like to me, he is all the things that we normally look for in guys that we're going to get hyped about and get behind and get really excited about. Um, and it just hasn't happened yet. I don't know if it's because of the Welsh thing or the European thing. Little, you know, last year was kind of a tough year because COVID and limited opportunities for guys. He had a fight with Khalid Taha fall out at the end of the year. But just somebody to me that, given the amount of attention we're paying to bantamweight right now, with good reason, it is amazing. It might be the best division in the UFC right now. I think if he goes out and has another great performance this coming Saturday, gets it to 3-0 in the UFC, if he gets another finish, he's a guy that can start making some noise. And, and as we see him continue to climb the ladder, I expect we continue to see more of what he's capable of, but more of the same of what we've already seen, which is really great grappling, pretty solid on the feet, nose for the finish, tough as nails as most of these Welsh fighters are, and just a guy that has the opportunity to start climbing that ladder as you get into some of those kind of tenured, a little older, maybe I hate calling people shop worn, but like guys that have just been around for a while and been through some of those wars where maybe they start sliding back as the Jack Shores of this division start going forward. And so to me, two years, give me that, give me that 18 to 24 month window. And I'll, I'll bet on Jack Shore being in the top five. Wow. Yeah. He's a, uh... A minus one forty-five favorite opened as a minus one fifty. They're giving some respect to Azure here, but yeah, man, Azure. Um, I don't think he's gonna want to strike it out. That's not his strength. It's more output and stuff. And you're gonna go right into a guy who's been banking submission wins. I mean, he looked like a machine gun. I think twelve and zero with all those submission wins just as an amateur alone. The guy's been fighting since twenty fifteen. This is great. Yeah, I think that COVID really stumbled him up. I don't think. You know, I know there's always going to be the anti, like, oh, they're just trying to find the next Connor, and it doesn't help when, you know, like, for example, nothing against Patty Pimblett, but, you know, they're, yep. they're, they're, they've been really, they've been trying so hard. It's been, <laughs> I hate to use the word desperate, um, because I don't mean it insulting to the Gen Pop or Patty himself, right. but it has a very desperate feel about it. And to your point, I feel like you stack up, and we should be way more excited for Jack Shore, not just... I mean, you could just kind of sure dog break him down and see why the heck are we more excited for this guy than this guy, to prove your point. But going into the depths and the actual nuance, which you have to do, and you have to go beyond the numbers in this sport, something I always preach, and you're you're once again right there. And I'm guilty of that. Um, maybe because I think that I, I, I think I picked him. I remember I bet like an over or an under on his last fight, and like I think it just went like by one second. I'm looking at the <laughs> result now. I'm like, ooh, you always remember the losses there. Uh, but no, I like me some Jack Shore. Uh, from what I remember, uh, again, it's like Dunbar's number, especially you understand this, Spencer, covering you know the sport for so long, all these X amount of people coming through the door. I can do write-ups um, individually, and I still forget about these fighters by the time the next yep. time they fight. So uh, I'm not going to go into the, the, the specifics of his game, but I do remember liking what I see. I do believe he's got like your judo and jujitsu black belts. I believe similar to a Brett Johns. Maybe that's another exactly. reason he gets yep. kind of he gets kind of confused there because they actually carry similar um, backgrounds and martial arts styles. But Jack Shore, training, man, watch out for him. Partners, good friends. 
And Brad Johns is a dude that, I mean, we were just talking about Bellator scooping up Mads Burnell. Bellator scooping up Brad Johns is a hell of a pickup too. I mean, he was a guy that I felt so bad for him when he blew out his knee and had to miss a year. People kind of forgot that his two losses were to Pedro Munoz and Aljamain Sterling, which you look at those setbacks now, it's like, oh, this this might be a dude you want to keep around. Talked to Jack about that last week. He said, you know, I get to go with Brett every day. I go with Brett every day. The things I learned from him, you know how tough he is. It just makes me better. He's a guy that I just think, you know, we get we get caught up, as we said at the top of this. We get caught up, we get that tunnel vision on one or two names in a division, and then we kind of miss these guys that are that are doing things in the shadows. I think maybe he keeps doing them in the shadows for another year even, but the time will come where he becomes undeniable. I think there's a real Leon Edwards vibe to me in terms of just going out and putting on quality performances, getting good wins. He's not a guy that's going to run his mouth, but he's going to go out there and, and stack up victories. And at some point, guys like that become undeniable. I agree, man. That's a great pick. I, I really hope he gets some matchups and some push. Um, because uh, he's a, a guy where you know you actually aren't worried as uh, about it like a maverick per se like you know he's he's quietly been fighting for a decent amount of time and that's something you got to look at too how how long or how short depending uh, both can surprise you when you're when you're putting together a list like this um, so yeah uh, as as I do that now yep okay all right I'm gonna go to my number three we'll keep in this same order here this is probably one of the more obvious ones there might be some crossover with this one. If not, um, I'll definitely take credit as, as it being an obvious one. <laughs> um, this guy actually started his amateur career off with uh, three losses. Granted, um, one of them, or two of them, were the same gentleman uh, who actually turned out to be pretty decent. He would go on uh, undefeated for the rest of his amateur career, and uh, although his pro career <laughs> kind of crosses over with some names that will also be on the list, that is Dagestani Stipe Miocic, of course, Magomed Ankalaev. Um, this is, this is the highest ranked guy. Uh, he is, I believe top 10 on the junkies or somewhere outside of that, but we'll go to the UFCs, uh, just for this one, just because they're going to have him ranked higher, uh, as far as whether or not they're going to fit this list. And, uh, yeah, they got him ranked at, where is he at? Where is Ankali at? Wow. Seven now. Seven now. Okay. Seven. There we go. Thank you for saving me. Uh, seven. So it's, um, yeah, yeah, I got it. I got it right here. And if you look at it, I know he kind of fought closer than maybe some had projected to um, Nikita Krilov, I believe was his last fight. However, Krilov's a guy that even at his wildest and spaziest um, can beat guys at heavyweight and light heavyweight, you know what I'm saying? And heavyweight and light heavyweight are kind of crazy divisions where we could kind of cheat here and you could almost make a case for anybody. Um, I mean, we got Jan Blakowicz, by the way, maybe at the, the, the top spot. No no offense to Jan, I'm just saying, like, it's such a crazy division. Uh, there's plenty of moments that, you know, I'm you know people, but, oh, he got submitted by Paul Craig, uh, you know, in a fight he was otherwise dominating, you know, just like Mads Brunel. I'm going to revisit that trope, right? Right. Um, but Jan Blakowicz has a lot of, I mean, Devin Clark was favored, and I picked Devin Clark along with many people to beat Jan Blakowicz, you know. Jan Blakowicz won that fight, but in losses before, had some real dope moments, right? Some real Homer Simpson moments. I mean, you can't condemn these fighters um, for these these falters. And unfortunately, these falters, in Uncle Ives' case, cost him a fight, right, against Paul Craig. But I, I, you got to be careful about 
condemning them as their career or who they are as a fighter. Right. And also in the division in which they fight. And uh, Dominic Reyes was a southpaw I was really high on because you don't get a lot of southpaws um, in these heavier divisions. So that's a really rare look. Um, and if you can do both and grapple and all these things, it's I think it's, it portends you know, uh, really well. And Ankalaev can get knockouts on the counter coming forward. High kicks, uh, punches. Um, ground and, his ground and pound is insane. He almost looked like he had spooky ground and pound where he was just deadening guys with ground and pound, you know, on the regional and Russian scenes. Um, you know, and hopefully he's brushing off on his submission defense. But I, I honestly, I take him over everybody um, ranked ahead of him. Uh, I think this version of Jan Blakovich gives him trouble. I think Yuri Prokachka can obviously have, you know, can beat anybody uh, on the list as well because he's got that spazziness about him. But outside of those moments, um, I even put him against my, you know, my dark horses like Glover, although Glover's ranked number one. But you know what I mean. He's an old guy that people aren't giving credit to. Uh, Rakic is the guy I think everybody's looking to to be the next person. But um, I don't know, man. I think uh, I, I really like I, – I, I, I'm, I'm sticking with what I said from Ankalaev. I, I said it before he came into the UFC and got his number seven ranking. So there's a little bit of that bias bleeding into this one, folks, because I, I followed him from – the previous, uh, you know, from from his pre-UFC career, I should say. Um, it, so it's kind of an obvious one. He's high up there. The path's not hard to draw up. So he's, he gets a number three spot for that. He's probably the guy that when we first started conceiving of this and, and first started spitballing on some ideas and I started thinking of what's a possible, you know, topic for us to talk about, he would have been the, like, poster boy for this because he was outside of the top ten in the UFC and he was a guy the Paul Craig fight is is perfect to me that you mentioned because again we see the result and people go oh but he lost to Paul Craig he won literally 14 minutes and 55 seconds of that fight and then lost four seconds of that fight and and lost the fight so one Paul Craig's triangle squeeze is freakish two his setup is quick and it's precise because we saw him do it to Kennedy and Zuchiku as well. Um, so we can't just decide that, oh, this happened. So that guy's done for good because this is MMA. We know that, that we know everybody loses aside from Khabib, aside from John, everybody loses at some point. It's how you develop and grow from that. And all we've seen from Uncle I have since is development and growth and impressive things all the stuff you mentioned, the fact that he can can beat you in so many ways makes him such a quality contender in that division. Again, as you said, the division is wide open. The opportunities are there. And so to me, he's a great pick. He didn't make my list because he's in the top 10 in the UFC. But when we first started conceiving of this and talking about, hey, I got it. Let's do something again somewhere down the line. And he was outside of that top 10. He was the poster boy. So I absolutely agree with that pick. Alrighty, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. We both came across the same thing too. Noticing on those rankings too. Uh, let me see just real quick where where Junkie has them before we push on, and then we'll get on to number two. We may actually make this without crossover, although I think there is one name I'm still willing to bet that we'll have crossover <laughs> on uh, personally. But we'll, we'll we'll see about that. Um, they actually have him at wow, boom, 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 boom. Um, my site's got him at number fourteen, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go with some junkie All bias. Right, no, 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 I'm just, I'm just yeah. I mean, no, but if you think about it, I right? actually wrote if you it look down at here. Why did I look that up? Global rankings, and you look at worldwide, you've got the guys in Bellator that that are rightfully ahead of him. 
um, in Nemkov, in Ryan Bader, in Corey Anderson, guys like that that have already put in some of those bigger victories that we expect Phil Davis as well. And so that makes a little more sense in terms of a global perspective of where he fits in terms of can he get into that top five in the world in the light heavyweight division versus just keeping it narrow to the UFC. So that that isn't a, that isn't a biased decision. That isn't a give yourself an out decision. That's a justifiable decision. I appreciate that. Uh, You know what? (laughs) Let's do, um, let's do a Chinese fire drill here and I'll, I'll double dip to go number two. Cause I'm going to willing to bet that I might be alone here. Cause this is a really random one. Um, especially because my number two has been active for two years. Uh, and, um, he has yet to fight for the organizations that we have kind of based our grading upon. Let's just say the top two, right? However, he's, he is signed to one of them though. And it's a very stacked division. However, uh, one of the most legendary stacked divisions, but, not so much in Bellator. So that also has a lot to do with it, which is Alexander Shelby. Uh, of course, he comes from uh, ACB, ACA. I believe he still fought while it was still ACA. But while I stopped covering ACB right around 2015, 2016, I was like, you know, part of my French balls deep in, balls deep in that scene, right? As I start kind of venturing out and, and my beat starts becoming more mainstream, um, Shelby... He actually he makes me a fan. I love this. A lot of these guys, I come across them, in, you know, in losses or guys that make me a fan in a loss. I, I really something. There's something about that. They stick with you. If, if a guy can make you a fan of his or a, a female or a fighter, okay, can make you a fan of theirs uh, in a losing effort. I think there, there's something to that. And I didn't go back to rewatch this fight, so please forgive me. Uh, obviously, there's an argument for him to win, though. It was a split decision to Edward Vartanian. I believe Frank Mir and uh, uh, I got his name Brian Lacey shouts Brian Lacey uh, was on the call of that one, and it wasn't like my my Griffin Bonner moment with ACB, which was ACB thirty two. Um, that was Peter Jan's first fight with Magomed Magomedov, but I do remember it being up there. Like it was just like a Saturday morning. I'm getting ready, doing stuff, and and this fight's on, and it just it really just it really just sucks me in. And Shelby, I don't have his like records. I, I can't tell you what his master of sports are or aren't off top hand. Um, that's one good thing about when these guys come over to the UFC. They, they give you these nice bio sheets. I'm sure you're very well aware of Spencer. Uh, Bellator doesn't necessarily do that. And he technically, um, I, I don't believe he's, yeah, he, he technically has not fought for Bellator yet, though he, he signed, right? Uh, he's not fought. I mean, I don't, I don't know sure if he's booked, though. Um, no, he had a canceled bout, uh, but that wasn't for Bellator. That was last year. Um, but yeah, he skills wise, I mean, this guy's got everything as far as counter wrestling goes. He's got uppercuts to flying knees from anti wrestling. Um, he can obviously wrestle when it does get to the clinch, and if you are able to get him down, he's got everything from guillotines, triangles, uh, to heel hooks, like all attacking all levels. Um, solid in a scramble, really good distance management. Uh, he's got a lot of finishes, but he still kind of also has that, which a lot of Russians have that. Like Rashid Magomedov's a good example. Um, but he also reminds me a bit of Leon Edwards. He's really good distance management. Like if someone's going to want to try to the, the the new calf kick game on him, um, it's going to be very hard to get it on Shelby. Uh, he's really good distance management. How he can back out. Uh, I referenced him earlier because uh, if you're looking for for more familiar fighters, if you don't really follow that scene, he did fight UFC veteran Adriano Martins, who knocked out Islam Makachev, 
And what I like in that fight is you see him hurt Martins multiple times, but uh, even though you could say, oh, he was being a little bit more boring because you're used to him finishing, I, I think that he will be going to decision like more fighters as you see him get to the higher level. Uh, however, I liked it. He didn't make the mistake Makachev did. If you remember Makachev at UFC 191 or 192, uh, he he's yeah he's he's rushing him and and I don't know if he even hurt him and he was just so recklessly rushing him and obviously Makachev has cleaned up his striking since then, um, but yeah like even the shots that you know uh, Martins does land who can hit hard to his credit even though he's a jiu-jitsu guy like, I just I just I just loved how he played uh, loved how he played parts of that fight and uh, you look at you know Bellator's rankings at lightweight and it's it's really. It's really light, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. outside of you know, outside of getting caught by Brent Primus uh, in a submission, um, I, I, you know, I, 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 I like him even it's against both pit bulls. You know, the top, right? It's it's the opportunity. It's yeah. You have to understand the road that's ahead of these people. What's the construction of the division look like? What kind of opportunities are they going to have? I think this is a great pick. He wasn't on my list. I kind of stuck to UFC because that's my wheelhouse for the most part. Not that I don't pay attention to other right. organizations, but to me to keep this as as general to people, I think I stuck with the UFC. But listen, anybody that's 27 that has as much experience as he has, that has as much diversity as he has, that has fought some good competition, that's one of the big things for me when you're talking about people that are coming into these large organizations like Bellator, the UFC, or even PFL is going back and looking at, okay, but who did they beat? Who were they fighting to get here? What's kind of the level of competition? Have they been actually in there with guys that I can think that I know that I can go, okay, they've been tested. They've had to pass some, some challenges. So Glariston Santos is in there. Adriano Martins, as you suggested, this is a great pick. And, and to what we were saying, opportunity is the biggest thing is one of the biggest things with figuring this out for for a list like this is are they going to get that chance to be pushed is there going to be a way where two victories puts them in the top 10 or the top five and so with the with things being what they are at 55 in bellator he's got a great opportunity so this is one that i think Within the next 18 to 24 months, you're going to be able to come back and circle this and say, here's the timestamp. Go pull it up. Look what I said. Holler at your boy. Yeah, and that's uh, Shabli. Not Sh I don't know why I keep saying like he's Irish guy, but for more you know, casual followers or if you only have time, that's fine. Again, there's a lot of UFC. There's a lot of MMA out there, but Shabli, Alexander Shabli, just someone to watch. It's okay if you didn't go back to watch it. You know, the guy hasn't fought for two years, so I don't blame anybody for him not being, you know, on your list. I just know that he was a guy that, you know, many of us were actually hoping the UFC was going to quietly grab. I know it's an embarrassment of riches over there, the UFC, especially their lightweight division compared to Bellator's. Yeah. So Bellator could certainly use it more, uh, but it was someone that I think still could have competed at UFC. We were, we were banking and hoping. And now, like you said, at Bellator with the opportunities, unless he gets submitted by, you know, Goiti Yamauchi or Brent Primus, uh, I think he beats everybody minus the guy at the very top. So, and and, and Bellator's proven they're not afraid to market um, Russians, right? So that's it's it's a kind of already spelled it's already spelled out yep. there for him, kind of. Should be a good opportunity for him. Should be a good chance to to walk in and get some of those. Like I understand people that say, oh well, Bellator and you know PFL being what they are, and they're not as as big as the UFC, but it creates tremendous opportunity for so many of these fighters that. 
otherwise are going to get kind of mired down and bogged down in the glut of talent in the UFC where it's going to take them three years to start making headway. Like how many guys have we seen that we talk about week to week where it's like, why is this guy not getting an opportunity? And it's just because the amount of talent and the amount of bodies and the amount of people that you got to get through to really make that resonance with, with the audience. Whereas in Bellator, you get those chances to go in and have one good win puts you in there with somebody that's established under that banner and a second good win puts you in the title mix. So it makes a lot of sense. It's a, it's a great opportunity for him there. There's a bunch of guys right now in Bellator that are going to be able to capitalize on those openings, on those chances to sort of push forward with this new era of Bellator and, and make a name for themselves. Yep, perfectly put there, perfectly put. Um, yeah, I feel like I'm kind of cheating there by you know, trying to find that strategic pathway, but it is what it is, according to Max Holloway. Let's, <laughs> let's hear what your number two is, uh, Spencer. So my number two is uh, a UFC welterweight, 14-0 and in his career, 18 consecutive wins if you go back to his, his amateur days. One of those guys, much like Jack Shore, that is, has never tasted defeat inside of a cage, which is one of those things that, yep, haven't learned from anything, but I also think that if you keep going and you keep winning, that's kind of the name of the game. He looked tremendous last time out. It was kind of the thing that made me go, yeah, he's got to be on the list and he's got to be pretty high. He's cracked the top 15. He is Sean Brady. I think the world of this dude. I mean, listen, Paul Felder is a teammate. He is biased. He's obviously going to give him all the props in the world, but they are 100% justified. I think that fight for me against Jake Matthews was the real kind of, okay, I'm convinced. Um, going into the fight with Christian Aguilera, I said, I'm, I'm still not 100% sold on this guy as being the great prospect that everybody says he is. I hadn't seen sort of the thing that made me have that aha moment with him. He had two good wins over, over good opponents, but they were just... I mean, Ishmael Narjuev is, is a guy that I think the UFC probably let go a little too early. But they were just, there There wasn't anything that really, really stood out to me about it. He looked a little tired in the third rounds. It is. It was what it was. Goes out against Christian Aguilera, looks great. I said, okay, buy him as a prospect. But let's see now when he starts getting into the thick of this division and facing some of these guys that have had a little more UFC experience, have a little more you know, savvy to their game. I love Jake Matthews as a, as a fighter, been covering him his entire career. Is an athletic guy, is a good grappler, has some pop. And Sean Brady just housed, just trucked. Beat him every minute of that fight, submitted him. To be able to go out and submit a guy like Jake Matthews with the ease, with the quickness that he did in that third round, made me like mea culpa on not being in earlier and now to see where he's at, he's a guy that when I look at him, and as, as we've been talking about, you look at the guys ahead of him, you look at the opportunities, and I don't think there's anyone that just completely outclasses him. He may lose a fight here in the next two years. He probably will because that's just the nature of the beast. That's what happens. You get in there with, you know, his, his next fight is probably going to be against somebody in that 6 to, to 13 range. He was scheduled to face... Bilal Muhammad at the end of last year before yep, that fight yep. fell apart. Yeah, that's right. You know, he could get in there with a Jeff Neal. He could get in there with, you know, Michael Chiesa. 
And those are those are interesting fights that I don't know if I favor him. I wouldn't be shocked if he won. I wouldn't be shocked if he lost. But you give him two more years to continue gaining some of this experience, continue building on some of the stuff we've seen. And I think he's a guy that gets into that top five and has the potential to just be kind of a bigger, stronger, nightmare version of like, you know, kind of a bigger, stronger version of Ally at Quinta, a little more aggressive version of Ally at Quinta, a little more finish capability, a little more polish, all of those things that I think he's a guy that, that makes some noise in this division. Absolutely. I think this is a great pick. Uh, again, this one blinded me off my radar. I don't have him written down here. But um, I will say this, and not just because he's ranked number 14, and uh, this kind of fits perfectly. Um, Sean Brady is the perfect link between Usman, uh, the, the barometer, Usman and Brady as far as this ranking for title contention. And he's right on the outside, which is completely justifies why he's, he's on this list here. Um, and there's a guy who almost made an honorable mention, but he was way too high. And I feel like he's right in the middle because I feel like Brady, I was a little skeptical on the cardio, but that's something that you, you can, um, especially young in your career, uh, you can still address it legitimately. I'm talking about, I'm not, I'm not saying it with a wink and a nudge, although that kind of applies always. It's MMA, I guess. But, you know, if you're going to be a, a more stout guy with heavy muscle, you know, you're, if you start gassing, you're going to, again, you're going to get hit with that Rogan commentary, right? And people are going to start going, oh, we can gas this guy out, which is why I wasn't sure of a green, a more greener Brady against, you know, Court McGee, uh, a guy who will right. test you, right? And people will look at that and not give him a lot of credit for that. But even a later Court McGee, he's, Brady still deserves a lot of credit tough for that out. win. Yep. Very tough out. He's He will test you. That's what... Court McGee is there for the gatekeeper is a negative term. I don't think it should be used as a negative term. I mean, to be a gatekeeper in the UFC for as long as a guy like McGee is making his tenure, right. it's insane. The guy's an, a, a damn overachiever. But anyway, it's not about Court McGee, about Sean Brady. Um, if you look at his style, though, kind of opposite from Usman in the sense of similarities but opposite. What I like about Brady is that the cardio is the only thing because if he's durable, like a Jeff Neal will test the durability. And a Neil Magny yep. further up the list will test the cardio. Right. But outside of that, I like him against almost every guy except for one guy I'll get to in a second. Um, up until the champion because he is a little bit different than – a lot different than Camaro. He likes hooks, but he's more off the back foot. Um, however, he seldom puts himself out of position, which is what I like about Brady. Uh, from his top game, his transitions, his choice of takedowns, uh, it's all very conservative, Right. And you're not going to make fans. Might not get him the fastest launch. He doesn't seem to be right. a big talker, which is fine. I don't like that. I'm just saying we know that's what kind of, you know, is yep. like cheat codes, right? See Sean O'Malley, your previous uh, example there. Right. Um, why he's probably a popular list. But I really cheat, like... Cheat code is a perfect way to put that. Yeah, exactly. But if you look at it, a, a different style, jiu-jitsu versus wrestling, back foot versus forward pressure than Usman, but very similar as far as they're solid all around and they don't put themselves out of position... They seem to be durable as all heck. It's gonna be a tough night. Um, yeah. Right in the middle of them, though, falls. And I don't want to. I don't want to sidetrack your talk. I'm, I'm. I'm definitely crediting Sean Brady in your pick. But I just will add this in. Uh, right in the middle falls this guy Vicente Luque, who I wrote down, and I put next to Vicente Luque champ poison question mark <laughs> because um, something I said and and you know I I've only picked against Stephen Thompson once and it was against Vicente Luque. I was clearly wrong. Um, and that could clearly still be a bad matchup. But the point is, Stephen Thompson, 
I hope he can get a title shot. I hope he can do well. But regardless of what he does or doesn't do, there's not that much time for it. Whereas Luke, he's young, but it's definitely the miles are going to catch up with Luke more than the age. So I don't want to hang on to Luke's age because he puts miles on him that shouldn't be overlooked. However, I feel like he's the Charles Oliveira of that division. We need a guy yeah. in wrestle weight. It's a, it's, a, it's it's traditionally been uh, wrestle heavy for as long as I can remember welterweight, right, Spencer? Yeah. It hasn't changed. And that's why Brady, I think, can still do well because he can wrestle and he's got the jiu-jitsu and the top game, etc. Uh, but again, what dissuades wrestlers? You need you need that Charles Oliveira in the mix, the, the, the dangerous front headlock guy. you know. Right. And they're very common in the lower weight classes, but Luke reminding the masses of that Darce right. choke. I mean, uh, whether you go up to you know uh, you know Camaro or down to a break, like he is the guy that I feel like is a stylistic poison yep. for a lot of people in that division. So aside from running into a Luke trap, trap, um, I think Brady. It's a tough road to hoe, but I think that there is yep. a road there for him. Yeah, welterweight's tough, man. I mean, you you said it perfectly. Like, look at until until last weekend. But Sente Luque was stuck in that outside of the top ten, fighting nothing but tough. I mean, it's the it's the Leon Edwards road. It's I mean, hell, it's the Kamaru Usman road before he got yeah. those big opportunities. It's the Colby Covington road before he got some big opportunities yeah. and started talking a whole bunch of junk, right? And so it's definitely a challenge. I really do appreciate your point of no, there's no mistakes with Sean Brady. He's not going to put himself in bad bad positions he's not going to make bad decisions in there and i think that's such an important thing that we're seeing from kind of this next generation of fighters is they're understanding a lot more of take what's given to me stay within my lane play to my strengths there's there's fewer instances of of people chasing submissions that aren't there at least when you start getting into these real true blue chip prospects, real true potential contender kind of talents, they know that take my time, work my way through, do my progressions, kind of like we saw with the, with the Jake Matthews fight. There was no rush. There was no, I'm going to get one step ahead of myself and lose this position. It was methodical grind you down, wear you out. Okay, now I can pass. Okay, now I can get the arm under and start climbing my hand up. All right, now I've got you stuck and you're dead to rights. There's yep. no mistakes in it. And so I agree completely that we need a guy at, at welterweight like Mr. Snatch Your Neck, Vicente Luque. Um, Charles Oliveira is a perfect comp at, at lightweight, a guy that's just has the ability to make you pay. I think those are always going to be the very interesting challenges in the middle of these divisions but i think a guy like like brady you give him a little bit more time a little bit more polish he'll be in that mix because again welterweight is another one of those divisions where you look at some of the names in there you mentioned stephen thompson wonderful fighter tremendous dude getting a little bit older damian maya a little bit older neil magny sneaky older Robbie Lawler's hanging on to a top 15 spot. I don't understand why he hasn't won a fight in four years, but so be it. Rankings are rankings. We already covered that. But I think there's opportunities for for some of these younger guys. We're seeing it with Vicente Luque last week. I think we'll see it with Sean Brady in the next couple of years. So 
Well, speaking of the snatch your neck, uh, it only strengthens your pick more. I know with the Jake Matthews fight, we saw his guillotine from topside after the work was done. But uh, it doesn't take Paul Felder, Homerain, to tell you that he's got a good guillotine <laughs> to know that the guy's got a good guillotine, right? And I think, which is smart, he's been less uh, going to it less since the regional scene. Because obviously, maybe, you know, it's smart. You don't want to give position up uh, at the higher level, more stakes, et cetera, et cetera. But if he can, you know, keep it from a top side or as a takedown defense threat where he's not, you know, jumping back and making that mistake for right. it, then he too has a front headlock game because look at the – I'm looking at 1 through 15 on the UFC's website. And uh, outside of like, you know, yeah, I'm sure Gilbert Burns and Damian Maya, I'm sure right. they have good guillotines because they're good jiu-jitsu guys, but that's not necessarily their game, nor is it Kiesa's. In fact, outside of Brady's guillotine and Luke's Dars, nobody from 1 – to 15, and we'll go up and include the champion. No one has a vaunted or a known front headlock game, you know? I mean, even Masvidal uh, had an arm, uh, Darce choked uh, Kiesa, you know? And that's not to shit on Kiesa or uninfairly inflate Masvidal, but Kiesa's more of a scramble-to-your-back positional yep. player type of guy, and he's becoming a more of a position over-submission guy, as we're seeing, yep. in fact. So, really, no one, that's a vacant part. No one has that snatch-you-up headlock game. I'm not pulling that out of my butt. I'm looking right now, and and that's a really good sign for Brady. Yeah, I mean, Kiesa has, has sort of not transitioned away from his submission, but he's really played into his wrestling, which is super smart. Mm -hmm. He's got the size for it. He, he does a great job. We saw it in the Neil Magny fight to exactly what you're saying. He is going to play that position game, and he is going to play the, you have to get up. If you don't want to be here and you want to do something, you have to get out of this. I'm big, long, and strong and able to scramble with you. So even if you do buck and create space on the ground or shrimp and create space on the ground, get a knee in and, and start to get up, I'm quick enough that I can take your back and that's when I can start on my mm -hmm. submission game. He's yes. not a guy that's necessarily going to be attacking a head and arm or looking to set up a, a guillotine from top position, a one-arm guillotine or anything like that. He is, as you said, more of a control you on the ground, Take your back if you give it to me, and then I'll take your neck with the rear naked choke. Whereas Sean Brady, we saw in that fight with Jake Matthews, the top the top side submission game is there, where he's attacking that head and arm, and he'll he'll look for, as you mentioned, that guillotine that he used a lot on the regional circuit. And so, it's it's finding these little little avenues that guys are going to maybe be able to exploit and use to their advantage to kind of get ahead because you know we know everybody listening to this podcast knows it's just margins now like it's not mm -hmm. this isn't the early ufc where it's big gaps between everybody it's those small little things that are going to be the differentiators and so something like an aggressive attacking front headlock game is going to be a difference maker for sean brady 100%. Yeah, this is great. I love that. We, you, you guys just got a, a nice little breakdown of the welterweight division. I felt like this is more benefit of your Sean Brady pick than anything. That was fun. Oh, number number one time. Number one yeah, time. Who, do we, who tops your list? Do we have crossover here? I'm, I'm, I'm in, this is UFC for me, so we, we, we could. Um, and like I said, a uh, lot of uh, European, Eastern European... And for me, this is one of the many uh, Georgians. There's only really two Georgians I have on my list. Um, they're both from the lower weight classes. And this is another stacked division, man. It's stacked no matter what division or what organization you go to, which is the featherweight division. Uh, as my number one is uh, Ilya Taporia. 
Um, I don't necessarily think he's going to be wearing the belt <laughs> at the end of 24 months. But I do think he has the ability. Uh, well, he, he has the ability, but even with, you know, politics and a pathway, so to speak, because those things do play with it, I do feel like he could be up there in those talks. Um, I know that, you know, Holloway is kind of in this weird island where we don't know, is he doing fun matchups? Is he going over the 55? Um, has he done enough to prove to get the Volkanovsky rematch? So they're kind of, I kind of lock him with Volkanovsky. And then you have Ortega, obviously, who has shown um, uh, a renaissance on the feet, if you will. And Ortega, obviously, is the snatch-your-neck-up guy in that division. Um, right. Max has an underrated guillotine, obviously, that shouldn't yep. be overlooked. But let's be honest, it's not what he's, he's known for. And it's usually he's gotten volume and strikes off. And that's usually how he's getting you in that guillotine spot. Right. Uh, Volkanovski, more of a positional. Uh, he's moved away from his more Khabib-like early, like ground and pound. But even right. his grappling iteration was not a submission guy, you know. No. Um, so that's why Ortega, this revamped version of him, is so interesting. Uh, but if you look at, you know, uh, Featherweight there, um, Zabit, I'm still unsure of because I know he's going to get the push, but uh, I, I, I still suspect, you know, he, he, he falls apart after three he's, rounds with that style. He's a complete question mark to me. Yep. Uh, to where Yair Rodriguez, who's the guy that I've been harder on than most, uh, I am now starting to turn and think maybe Yair has a better chance if he doesn't get finished and out-wrestled and submitted in the early rounds just by simply out-athleting and outlasting as a beat if they match up, right? Um, Josh Emmett was a guy who, uh, I don't know, I'm kind of go going down the list. Uh, Cater, I know he's got a recoverer chance on Jung. I think he's getting knocked out by my, my boy Dan Ige. And as much as I love Dan Ige, uh, I'm, I'm not going to you know be biased and throw him up there, much less he's already <laughs> number eight. Josh Emmett's a guy I think that's really dangerous. He's a dark horse within that top ten. Um, however, what I'm getting to is you looked at a guy like Taporia, and he's already calling out guys and threatening to submit guys like Ryan Hall, who nobody wants to fight on the list. He's having some very interesting exchanges. You want to talk about the UFC, perhaps, and nothing against Patty Pimlet, but maybe hyping the wrong guys, right? Um, he's already calling out Patty Pimlet because of, uh, you know, not to get racial, but Patty Pimlet made a really insensitive comment, not understanding about cultural wars and, uh, yeah. you know, just people being, you know, uh, you know, there's really, really bad things going on. And uh, there's, you know, there's tough people that come from those countries for a reason, folks. And usually it's because they don't have the best living conditions. Um, so it's usually, it's not fair to pick on anybody for their living conditions that they can't help that they were born into, much less really tough people. So, well, yeah, it's, a, it's another good example of of not speaking out of pocket. Like if I saw Patty Pimblett come out and say, like, I didn't know the history. Well, if you don't know the history and you you aren't going to educate yourself on what you're saying before you start flexing Twitter fingers, don't say it. Save that to drafts. Type it in a note somewhere like just save it because then you like you saw the response was swift. I don't think there was anybody lining up on the side of Team Pimblet with that one. No. So good on him for apologizing. Yes. And coming out and saying, "Look, I didn't understand. I'm a fighter. Whatever, whatever." But there's the, a bunch the of better jo decision would have yeah. better decision would have been not to say anything in the first place because now you've pissed off Ilya Tapuria and a whole lot of tough ass Georgians. Yeah, and say what you will about Bellator snatching up the good European talent, I still think UFC is ten to one Georgians over any other organization. So that's that's the, that's your new home, buddy. Be careful about uh, and just attack the person and not the people. That's also a good rule of yeah. thumb. Um, and he actually used the word people when attacking them. So yeah, don't attack the people. Attack the person. Uh, anyways, but uh, neither here nor there. Uh, I do bring that up though because it's relevant. Even though I'm not a fan of the drama, 
Uh, I venture to say me and you are more a fan of, you know, the action inside the cage, Spencer. Um, however, uh, these things don't hurt. The UFC, you know, they're, they're not going to mark off Ilya for uh, opening his mouth, especially on, on that side of things, you know, and, and showing that he's willing to put himself out there. He, you know, he's using the Twitter emojis. He's doing those kind of things as far as the political side. But as far as skill goes, this is one of those guys where, Every once in a while you go, he's been doing jiu-jitsu since age four with his father. And I think that's always really important, but that doesn't always um, come across, you know. Um, Manal Kapp has been boxing since age four with his father, who was a, a world champ uh, to some degree. But, you know, there are still holes in that game. And, in fact, you could argue he he, he, he lost fights within that realm. So it's right. not always a given. However, Taporia does look like a guy who's been grappling since childhood. And not just jiu-jitsu, but... He also does Greco and freestyle, and I know wrestling analysts like I respect, like the Ed Gallows of the world, not a fan of the Greco, and it points out, you know, uh, folk, you know, is probably better if it gun to your head over the freestyle. However, these are the styles that are kind of available to them worldwide. These aren't, you know, coming up in the college uh, collegiate systems. A lot of times it is either freestyle or Greco, and... Greco doesn't get a lot of cred, maybe because the Randy Couture, Dan Anderson era, like that was a sh- that was a shit, right? Like Greco's the best base in MMA, and I'm not trying to pick up that old flag and dust it off here, but what I will say is, look at that guy's back, Taporia, and he <laughs> definitely is a guy who does a lot of Greco. You know, from the, the the judo guys to the Greco guys, a lot of clinch work, which is very applicable again to MMA, which is why you know an important part to extract from Muay Thai, any martial art with clinch work in it. It, it translates well to MMA for a reason, folks. I'll leave it at that. Um, and this guy definitely has that. He's maybe not the biggest 145er, but he is not an undersized 145er. Right. Um, he is very athletic. Uh, and then now you mix that in with the striking. And the gas tank was a little bit questionable because he was trying to hold on against, uh, you know, in his first fight. Like, that fight was not only on short notice, but you go back, he was actually dealing with COVID. To where, like, he uh, was having trouble breathing. Like, he probably shouldn't even have been fighting, period. So the fact that he was able to do that is... I wouldn't advise it. I'm not trying to falsely right. uh, make him heroic right. here to, you know, influence other people. But, god dang, was that, you know, was that impressive? Uh, even though something that shouldn't have been happening, it was it was impressive in retrospect, right? Well, and it's think... against a tough kid in Yusuf Zalal. A guy yeah. that, you know, had been 3-0 in the UFC last year and... And comes from a good camp, is fully prepared. As you said, it's a short notice opportunity. So it's one of those ones where, yeah, you're a little bit, you want to look and see down the road and remember it, but it's not the like, oh, he has no gas tank. Absolutely. And the guy, you know, he's got the explosive athleticism that, you know, translates to the feet. Uh, he gets knockout. He's had knockouts on the regional scene from head kicks to punches. So he can knock people out and knock people out with almost literally every, ex- you know, expenditure he has, which is great. Uh, and then you look at that. It's not even just that. Now he's actually like going to the body and looking like he's really getting some good boxing in. And you know, I love going to the body. It just it. No matter what your style is, we saw Francis Ngannou heavyweight. We can criticize heavyweights for thing, but if you just do little adjustments like going to the body, you know, to, to detect the level changes, to draw out the level changes, uh, dissuade the level changes, and put them right into your wheelhouse. I mean, oh my goodness! And now you just he goes from he's a Georgian who was fighting out of Spain. A lot of X factors there. Now he's down at MMA Masters, which is an underrated camp. You know, Cesar Carnero, I think, should uh, deserves a lot of the credit down there. Um, and I, although I was a little bit worried early on because the other coach, I don't have his name, which is probably good because I'm about to lobby a criticism. I was a little bit worried about they have a bit too much of a Capoeira. 
um, right. influence and capoeira. It's beautiful. It's fun to watch. But I'm a taekwondo guy, folks. So I love kicks. Um, that being said, it's not the most applicable to MMA. Right. And but but to their camp's credit, and I think with them embracing the calf kick in this new wave, they've been able to parlay that kind of um, outfighting game that got some of their fighters in trouble. Like if they didn't have a level changing takedown, like a Cesar Ferreira could go to, um, because it was essentially one layered counters. But now with the calf kick game, I'm seeing an adjustment from that camp and a much more proactive approach. Not as much outfighters coming from that camp. Much more high-level fighters and wrestlers from the randoms like Colby Covington to all these other, uh, you know, other players coming into that camp. I think they're doing really good things. And just being in Florida again, there's a lot of boxing gyms out there that a lot of fighters cross train off of, which perhaps maybe made sense on why we were seeing uh, Taporia bringing right. that style and flash out. And you know, maybe he does what Amanda Nunes did, who went from MMA Masters. Uh, you know, after the loss oh, to Kazingano, she goes to ATT right next door. And not that I'm wishing that. Uh, I'm not trying to throw shade at, at <laughs> right. MMA Masters. I'm not telling your guy to go somewhere. I'm saying it's just a good move that he's in a hotbed like that. And you yep. look at his age, I think he's only 24 or something offhand. Uh, I know it's, 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 it's bold, 23. It's bold to put someone like that at the top of the list in such a stacked division. Um, but, he, again, kind of like the guy that sandwiches my list, Sarukian. They may not even right. get to the title talk within the 24 months, but I believe it's close enough and I'm confident enough, Spencer, um, to put them on this list. So so he was he was absolutely on my short list and the reason he didn't make my five is that last part you said and it's the, the stack division. It's looking at the young names already ahead of him. So we've got a matchup coming up next weekend between Arnold Allen and Sadiq Youssef who are both ranked. Bryce Mitchell is a guy that's already gotten a bit of a push, already has a good win. He's in the top 15. Um, Mavsar Evloyev, who is somebody I've been high on for a couple of years, another young guy that's going to get a push. That upper tier of the division has got a bunch of young guys that I think are still going to stick around. Brian Ortega is a beat, even though we both agree that we're still not 100% sold. Yair Rodriguez is still pretty young. Kelvin Cater's over 30 now. I think he's 31, 32, but Dan Ige's in there. So I just think there's there's maybe a little bit too much ground. But if he goes out and does to to Ryan Hall what he did to, to Damon Jackson in his second fight, or he goes out there and submits Ryan Hall, imagine that. Like Then all of us that you know have been dying to see Ryan Hall get back in action are going to have to just pledge allegiance to Ilya Tapuria. Um, you mentioned being being willing to be out there and, and flex the Twitter fingers. I spoke to him before the Damon Jackson fight. This is a kid that is not short on confidence. He is not, there is no part of him that is going to take a back seat and kind of, he doesn't, he's the opposite of some of these guys that, that say, I don't care, give me who, UFC, give me whoever you want. I'll go slow, whatever. He's the, I'm going to be a champion in two years and you can go ahead and print that right now. And so I think if he goes out and, and has the performance he, he's capable of against Ryan Hall, he could leapfrog some of these guys that are in the division that, that are the reason I kept him off my list and make you look really good and make me look like a bit of an idiot for not including him. No, not at all. These are all the completely valid points because on paper um, – he fits, but he she really shouldn't because he, he, there's two tiers. There's that old school tier that's right. still working things out, in fact. 
And there's these young guys like the Sadiq Yusuf or Marzvar Evzlips who absolutely deserve respect. But here's the thing. Marzvar was a guy I had on there too. And although I know they keep saying he should go back to Bantamweight, uh, I don't necessarily disagree. I think he's he's built himself into the featherweight division. That being said, he is by no means a big featherweight. Whereas right. uh, even though they might not be too far off in measurements to Poria and Evloev, I think Evloev is much stronger, much more athletic. Um, and he's the guy getting guys in front headlock chokes, whereas Evloev is constantly getting stuck in them. Um, right. Sadiq Youssef, I, I love, and there's another uh, fighter who uh, reminds me of another Muay Thai guy uh, who's, who's ranked real similar, at least in the junkie ratings. Like there's these certain guys, and uh, you know, and they're getting better with their counter wrestling. There's Bryce Mitchell who is getting better with his striking, you know, and Arnold Allen who was always a well-rounded prospect who's only getting better with age. I'm a big Arnold Allen fan and his personality, by the way. Uh, market yeah, personality but the, the thing is is like for me it's like I see all those guys killing each other off and yeah. all those guys are good but they're not really standing out from each other and the, they're all kind of either paired up or are going to kill each other off uh, whereas and those survivors from that grouping I still don't see them beating the old guard from stylistic to even where they are right now um, whereas Taporia. I'm picking him against the new guard and the old guard guys all the way through, even though they're all, and deservedly so, by the way, deservedly so, they're all ranked above him. So that was kind of my, I know that's a bit of a reach if you follow me on that one, but just looking at the potential and style, stylistic matchups, and I'm like, he's got what, you know, this guy doesn't, and I'm high on this guy, or yeah. that, you know, that's why I kind of was going down the list a bit, because it essentially comes down to how you broke it down, a new school, old school but I feel like Taporia, even right now, stacks up well against both both leagues. It's a he is a complete package. He is a guy that absolutely is worthy of being at the top of this list. Is is in that, you know, if if we were going top ten, if this show was top ten, he'd be in my he'd be in my ten. Um, definitely nice. somebody nice. to to pay attention to and and worthy of that top spot. Well, this is awesome, man. I think it's good that we don't have any crossover, and it should make sense, really. I don't know why I'm surprised, because there's so many good talent out there. Like, yeah, maybe um, we yeah, shouldn't have crossover. I'm happy that there isn't any crossover. Yeah, this is good. It's cool that we're talking about 10 people and, and throwing a bunch of other names out there. I feel a little bad. I feel like this one might be a little bit of a of a layup, but he is he is ranked. He has had some opportunities. He does have a little bit of a name going for him now. But he's outside of the top 10, so there's still some work to do. It's in a division where getting into the top five is tough. Getting into just because of who is who is in the top five already, it makes it difficult. you got to beat some, some quality fighters to get in there. But it's Tom Aspinall at heavyweight. And, I mean, look, you give me a 27-year-old dude who's 3-0 in the UFC with three finishes – who has, and I know we do the like, oh, well, they have pro boxing experience for guys that had one fight at, you know, the casino down the road from my place, and and it was against some guy that never fought again. And then you have Tom Aspinall, who gave up his MMA career for a while to go and be a training partner and a sparring partner for Tyson Fury. So that's a different level of boxing experience and and pedigree and, and repertoire Plus, he's got a sneaky little jujitsu game, a little submission game that people aren't necessarily aware of. We saw a little flash of it in the finish of Andre Arlovsky. There's more to that. And I think with this new breed of heavyweight of, of some of these younger guys that are starting to come up, 
you get an athletic, a fluid, a guy that can move pretty well. He's not, he's not heavy footed. He's a guy that's going to get around there and, and move pretty well. I think the opportunities are there for, as we talked about earlier, that the UFC is, is looking for kind of that next group of European fighters, fighters from the UK that can kind of get a push and be people that they look to package and, and sell once some of those borders open back up for events. I think Tom Aspinall is a guy that his next fight is going to be against the top 10, op- a top 10 opponent. And then you get another win there. And then we're starting to knock on the door of facing the Jarzinho Rosen strikes, facing the Alexander Volkovs, getting yourself into that mix. We just crowned a new heavyweight champ. This is by no means a within two years, is this dude going to knock off Francis Ngannou? Because I don't know if anybody's going to knock off Francis Ngannou. That's a podcast for another day. But as a guy that I think can make that not quickly because he's already been in the UFC for a year now and, and put in three straight wins, but a guy that can continue making that steady progress, build on what we've seen, show us a little more of, of his complete game as he gets into some of these more competitive fights, a guy that can make some headway and, and be somebody that ends up in that top five mix for a few years and become somebody that is a contender that, that holds down one of those kind of Curtis Blades, Derek Lewis spots where, even a even a junior dos santos spot right where you're just constantly oh yeah facing those top five guys year after year after year i, I see him taking the spot of the guy he just beat right didn't he just yeah. beat arlovsky um Arlovsky's. you know a well-built good looking well-built just big but well-built in proportion heavyweight can do a little bit of everything um you know you never can tell such a volatile sport much less heavyweight but I could see him having the the longevity, not just because of the athletic build and what that, you know, you, you hope, you, you know, you, you got some good genetics on the inside as well as the outright, but uh, his attitude, he's not a guy that wants to be rushed. If it's, if it's his choice, he wouldn't, he deserves to be on this list and hi, by the way, great choice. But if it was his choice, he wouldn't want to be on this list if you listen to him talk because, right. which I like, right. by the way, I like the fighter with that opposite, yeah. like, yeah, I don't want to rush when they have every reason to rush. And I like that. I think that's smart. Um, and you know, even though that's his attitude, he still may end up, uh, getting to that title contention sooner than later, because as of right now, I will pick him over everybody outside the top five. I think he's got to worry about getting outpointed, uh, or maybe even hurt by Volkov, but outpointed by Agane. I think Blades provides a tough fight, but I still think even now he could, he has the tools to win, whether it's an upset, uh, early or upset kind of finding it later. Um, I think Derek Lewis would still Derek Lewis him, where he would beat Derek Lewis for three rounds and then just get knocked out at the end. Um, right. You know, Stipe, uh, it's hard to sell with Stipe because Stipe should obviously be favored to beat him outright at any point, but Stipe is at his near end. And like I said before the Francis Ngannou fight, even if the guy decides to keep fighting, I don't think he's seeing shots that well. So, yeah, outside the top five right now, I, I would already pick Aspinall, and he's ranked 13 on the UFC ranking. So that's a great pick. Yeah, and, and I mean, you mentioned the him not wanting to be here and him him pleading to kind of take it slow. I love that he's in a gym at, at Team Kaibon that has, has had some guys that have gone through all the different stages along the way. Mm-hmm. So they've been European superstars and had the fame of being the biggest name in Cage Warriors and the biggest draws over there. Then they had that first wave of guys that came over to the UFC and had a little bit of success, but also had... Some very hard setbacks. I mean, Terry Adam is forever on that highlight reel. Then they yeah. had then they had Darren Till come through, right? And Darren to me 
is kind of the opposite of what Aspinall is now. Darren came through and right away just with chest out, head high, give me everybody and I will devour them all. And I kind of feel like Darren Till got rushed. And I kind of feel like Darren Till's paying for getting rushed right now. God bless him. He is a personality. I hope he heals up with the collarbone. I didn't really like his chances against Marvin Vittori because I think Marvin Vittori has taken that slow track where Darren Till just kind of got the got the hustle up. And I think Tom Aspinall has learned from that. I think he's seen what Darren's gone through and went. I don't. It doesn't need to be eighteen months. It can be twenty four months. It can be. 36 months because three years from now he's still 30 years old which means he's a baby in the heavyweight division and so given that he's surrounded by a great coach and Colin Heron great teammates that have been through it he's got a guy in Mike Grundy that is a tremendous wrestler that can help shore up that kind of stuff and and work on that side of things I think the possibilities are there to be and we don't you know we don't always see well-rounded fighters at heavyweight or we don't have to see the full repertoire, but I think he can be a guy that has very good pieces in every area. And those are the things that are going to, going to make him a problem going forward. I a hundred and ten percent agree with everything you said. And I'm looking back over your list, man. You got a solid <laughs> damn list, sir. That's a really solid list you put together. I spent if I must a lot. say so. I'm not going to lie. I spent a lot of time. This is, what this is mean, a really man. good list. I'm, I'm the guy that, like I said off the top, I'm the guy that went through and put together 265 names and cranked them out from like the end of, I wanted to have them out and published on the newsletter before the first fight of the year so that nobody could be like, oh, you added them, la- you added them late. Nope. They're all there. All the names are there. I've still got the hard copy file if anybody wants to check it. But this is the stuff I love. I, I, as much as I love main event fights and big names and guys that are established, I love being two years early on somebody. I love advocating for somebody before anybody else has or in those early days when people aren't necessarily paying attention. I know there's a lot of events. I know six hour broadcasts are hard and there's stuff that we all want to do and things like that. But there's something to me about watching those first two or three fights of every card and just putting a little circle next to somebody, putting a little star next to somebody's name. And you're like, hey, I, I need to remember that because that's that just showed me something. And so this list is sort of the the return of all of those early prelims. That's no, that's that's perfect, man. It's that's perfect. And we're gonna get to your listener list here in a second. I'm just gonna quickly recap uh, your list in mind. Spencer's number five was Miranda Maverick, a little uh, flyweight re- uh, female representation. Then it's to the middleweight division for number four, Tafon and Chuk. We no idea how he makes middleweight, but okay. Number three is Jack Shore, uh, some bantamweight action, a five-eight bantamweight, maybe to take a, t- take the cape from the Dominic Cruz from a, uh, another future dominant five-eight uh, bantamweight. And Jack Shore, we will see. Welterweight is where number two is for Spencer. That is Sean Brady, another great pick. And number one, heavyweight, Tom Aspinall. You cannot argue with that one. Uh, my is Mine is number five. I Boy, did I go like the stack divisions to try to make uh, hard arguments. Of course, my hipster fingerprints are all over this list. Number five, Armin Sarukian. Uh, number four, Mads Burnell over in uh, Bellator's featherweight. Uh, of course, uh, Sarukian is UFC's lightweight division. Number three, UFC's light heavyweight division, Magomed Ankalaev. 
Uh, my number two uh, was uh, Alexander Shabley. Of course, that's going to be now uh, a lightweight for Bellator he is. He will be fighting. And number one, Ilya Tapuria uh, to make uh, some rumblings at featherweight in the next two years for me. So, Spencer, we'll get to our honorable mentions, but we got to get the listeners get their saying first. They've been listening to us long enough here. Um, hey, Dan Levy at Best Fight Picks. He uh, submitted two here. Uh, Jamal Hill, Jamal Hill, Jamal, as uh, Sean Connery says in Finding Forrester. And Hayoni <laughs> Barcelos, baby. I love the older Dark Horses getting some representation. And uh, Barcelos is a name that, that will come up here again. But uh, I like both of those. Any thoughts on either of those names, Spencer? I like both. I mean, like you said, the the older dark horse is always good to see. Henry Barcelos is a guy that, you know, it sucks that he got pulled from his fight. I think it was earlier this year. Um, probably should have had a an opportunity against the top 15 guy by now. Just so happens to be 16 and one. Like guys like that don't come along very often. Give them some opportunities. Jamal Hills looked really good since coming off of the contender series. I know that there was that one win that got overturned because he popped for weed. It's weed. Can we, we, we've changed now. Like I'm glad to see that everybody's smartened up and we're not going to start taking victories away from guys because of weed. But he's looked really good since. And that win over OSP is one of those kind of benchmark ones mm-hmm. where, yep, there's still some development that he needs to do because he's still, you know, inexperienced and just needs to needs to get more mileage. Yeah. But the, the potential is there and the raw materials are there. He's working with a gym in, in Detroit at Mercy Lago that's got some guys on the come up. That's where Chaos Williams is. I know Joaquin Buckley's been out there doing work with them at, at times in the past. That's a little quiet, smaller gym that, you know, we've, we've seen some smaller gyms become bigger gyms in the last few years. That's yeah. a smaller camp that could start putting together some things and, and making some noise. So those are two very good picks. Yeah, and again, another southpaw at the higher divisions. Um, he is did have a, a long haul, or seemed to be, yeah. but uh, I, I asked Dan because I think he's close to that camp. He said he's taking the time to recover, which is good news. And then, you know, I'm a big fan of Barcelos. Um, I don't think they're going to give him O'Malley, but boy, do I hope they do because O'Malley, I, I said I mentioned him again. It's because uh, he's not a guy. Uh, I, by the way, I'm not a hater. I, I, I pick him all the time. I give him more credit yeah. than most do. Uh, not at all. That being said, um, I do think he's going to serve as a really valuable launching point for the for the right fighter to boost their name, uh, because yes. there, there's a bunch of stylistic matchups uh, yes. uh, that are bad for him. And I'm not sure if his body's going to hold up with these cuts, to be honest. But we'll see. Well, and I, I think there's going to come a point where he's going to end up paying for the I want to create moments, and I get mm-hmm. 15 minutes to do something special. Yep. Uh, no disrespect to to the the Brazilian Prince of Violence, Thomas Almeida, who is just not the same guy anymore. Um, but but that was a fight that was set up for Sean O'Malley to have those moments. The fact that he walked away from one in the first round was really dumb. I know that we harped on, they harped on it on the broadcast. Those are the little things that, that he needs to correct and quick, or else one of these dudes is gonna, as you said, come up and make their name off off beating Sean O'Malley and doing it in, in violent fashion, not to where he can explain it away as, oh, well, if I didn't get hurt, it doesn't count. Like, he's going to get in there and step in against, you know, Hani Barcelos, Pedro Munoz, somebody like that that's just going to be like, okay, I'll take your best shot, and, and here's mine. 
Now let's see what you do. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Really well put. Um, Alex Behunin. I'm sorry if I mispronounced that. It's at Alex Behunin. B E H U N I N. He says Jack Shore. Oh, he's with you there. Nice. All right, Tom. Hey, I should have. I should have read Alex's list. I would. I would have been more prepared. <laughs> you see. And uh, well, he goes Tom Aspinall. So he's he's on. He's he's reading your mind there. Um. Hey, he's on my train. He's got he's, some Armin. He's Sar- got a mix of everybody here. This yeah, is a good list. Armin Sarukian. Okay, yeah, I'm not so crazy. Hey, Jamal Hill. It's not just bias from Dan there. Alex got got him on the list. And uh, Ilya Taporia. All right, I feel a little less crazy. Thank you, Alex. Right. Miguel Baeza. That's another nice one. And that's another guy from the uh, MMA Masters uh, yeah. resurgence. There. I mean, a bunch of talent there. Uh, well-rounded talent. That's a great list, Alex. Uh, Nobar at Nobs11 on Twitter says. Grant, uh, I think he, he, he submitted a Hione Barcelos as well, but he has another tweet that says, Grant Dawson, Jimmy Flick, and Fiziev. That's Rafael Fiziev over another, that was the other guy I was alluding to over there at uh, Tiger Muay Thai. Thoughts on those names? Grant Dawson, Flick, Fiziev. Grant Dawson is one that, I mean, he, he and Fiziev both made sort of my let's start narrowing this down list. Um, lightweight, super tough. That's that's part of the challenge. Um, I really like Grant Dawson. I, I I think the world of him, but I think there's gonna come a point maybe where, and look, he could absolutely prove me wrong. I love that he's already figured out at a relatively young age to play to his strengths and stay in his lane. Um, he's not a guy that's going out there looking to be a kickboxer. He's looking to wrestle, and and even if that means wrestling with a great grappler like Leo Santos, like we saw a couple yeah. weeks ago. Um, curious to see once he starts getting up in there into the meat of that division, how he does against some of these other wrestlers, how he does against some of these kind of older, more experienced, a little bit stronger guys that can, that can stuff these takedowns and, and put it on him on the feet. Um, Fiziev is, I mean, He's just he's a he's a complete question mark to me, and I can't wait to see how those questions are answered, because he's one of those guys that every time I think there's going to be an answer or or he's going to run into something tough, like I was in the process of saying I think we forget how good uh, Hanato Moicano is before he blew up Hanato Moicano. Yeah, yeah. And so when you do that and you throw in the cool stuff like the Matrix defenses that he throws out there. You mentioned training with the Tiger Muay Thai camp that is a great camp. I know he's in Florida right now at Sanford MMA, which is a cool little, smart little addition to things. Um, shout out to Danny Rube, Ruby, Ruby Sports and Entertainment, for repping all of these guys and getting all of these guys their opportunities. He's a guy that could could make some, some noise, that, that has some real upside. But then it's just the division, right? Like, lightweight is so... Like, getting to number 20 in the UFC is a huge accomplishment and it means you are absolutely super talented but like Islam Makachev who I think we're both super high on is currently number 11 it's really hard to become a contender in the UFC lightweight division and so I think that's why I stayed away from lightweights and and it's not against either of these guys who I think are just great it's that that division is just so crazy Jimmy Flick hell of an entertaining fighter it was crazy to me that people weren't going more wild about jumping a flying triangle in his debut to get that win on Cody Durden. I think he's a guy that's going to be a 
always entertaining, but kind of limited fighter in that division. We've seen him lose on the regional circuit. If, if you've paid attention to Jimmy Flick's career, he's had some losses on the regional circuit to slightly better competition. I think he'll run into that at some point along the way, but it'll be a hell of a lot of fun getting there. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll say that with Flick. I feel like he, his best shot is to just try to beat Joe Lozon at 125. Yeah. Um, and just try to collect some bonuses because I, I know I was wrong on the end uh, picking Durden against him, but I mean, at the same time, he was getting tuned up in every aspect, not able to get takedowns. Like, the only thing he landed was a flying triangle, and I'm not trying to take that away from him, but I don't think anybody can look me look me in the face and say that's a high percentage route to victory, no matter what division in the UFC you're in, right? And, and man, there is nothing wrong, and I say this week in and week out. There is absolutely nothing wrong. It is good work if you can get it. Being the Joe Lozon of any division. Totally. Being the Jeremy yeah. Stevens of any division. Being the Brad Tavares of any division. And just putting in, you mentioned Court McGee earlier being an overachiever. Court McGee putting in 10 years in the UFC. There ain't nothing wrong with that life, man. You go out and do that and and compete every every couple of months and pick up victories and stack some bonuses and just go out there and, and have a tough battle tested career. There's nothing wrong with that. So I agree with that assessment for Jimmy Flick. Yeah. And Fiziev, uh, obviously that's kind of a tough one because not just picking lightweight, but uh, I had Sarukian and I wonder yeah. what their training sessions were like. Uh, I hate it. It's like for me having to pick between my children. I'm also high on Fiziev too, just cause I didn't have him on my list. Um, I mean, I, I did pick him against Moicano, although I'll be like, like not incredibly confident, uh, like, but, but I, I did see him winning that one, but so I'm not underestimating Fizia by any means, but yeah, like you said, there's still a lot more to show. And if there is that camp change, which is really interesting, you know, especially with the history, maybe he's trying to split himself up from contenders. We'll see there. Grant Dawson, I've been right. And I've been wrong about it's hard because everybody overinflates this kid's wrestling when they're breaking them down. Right. And then they underinflated, um, Leo Santos's takedown defense. So you had a lot of people being very surprised that he was unable to take Santos down. So it's really careful. You look. I know Grant looks like a wrestler and looks like you know, uh, you know the bully in any Disney movie who says like you're not good enough to be on this team. But the truth is the kids never freaking wrestled. Okay, so we need to not give him so much credit. I'm not saying you need to like you know take the piss out of the kid or, or nothing against the kid, but like. He's a brown belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He's a jiu-jitsu guy. Say, he's, he's a jiu-jitsu guy. He's a more than yes. he's a wrestler. Yeah, he's not a wrestler. I think people kind of have that in their head. Um, so no matter which side of the, the way you're steering, don't overcorrect it too far either way. Like, keep in mind this kid's a grappler. He's going to really need to stay. With that in mind, though, he's really going to need to lean on that Kraus kind of style that we're seeing, which is essentially high output, high output, high output. Yep volume and so he's with the right camp for what he wants to do well, well and if he can develop some of that i mean i say it all the time with guys that are grapplers grappling's great and you can be the the most high level grappler in the world but if you can't put the guy in the position you need them in to start grappling then it's it kind of doesn't necessarily matter and so if he can develop some of that damian maya oh by the way i've got this wrestling in my back pocket so i can either get you down or get my hands on you and position you where I need you to start attacking. Then I think that I think to me is going to be the thing that unlocks the potential for a next step. I think James Krause is a hell of a coach. I think he will do everything in his power to continue working on that side of things with Grant Dawson to help him be a better wrestler and use that wrestling 
because it's not that he needs to be a high output takedown guy. He just needs to be able to get that initial one or get that initial hold of you to where it's an advantageous position for him to start getting into some of his grappling sequences. And so if he can figure out that piece, I think everything else is there for him to be really interesting in that division. I agree. I'm going to try to blow through the rest of these in seven minutes here, uh, as well as our <laughs> honorable mentions. But just two more to go. James Lawson, at Jimmy Lawson on Twitter. Fiziev, we, great, we already covered him. Good, good choice. Barcelos, great, we covered him. Uh, Ivloev, we talked about him. Uh, Riddell, I'm guessing Brad and O'Malley, which we talked about. So I guess um, Brad Riddell is the one from the list we didn't mention. Uh, I actually had Gregor, uh, I was rooting for Brad, but... I think that Gregor was going to be a bad matchup. I think there'll be a lot of uh, bad matchups. But I do love the, the love for Brad Riddell. I think he's low-key one of the better city kickboxing offerings. I know that's kind of a joke and jab. I know Adesanya, you know, not to kick a guy while he's down. He just lost. And everyone wants to say Volkanovski. Volkanovski's with George Lopez, who is still his head coach, by the way. And, right. now, but, and now people are doing the same damn thing to Jamie Malarkey, calling him a city kickboxing guy. And I'm like... Can you can you give credit to, to to their gym in Australia that I can't even pull up now because even I've been polluted so much by you guys? Sorry, nothing against City Kickboxing, by the way, but let's get it straight. Brad Riddell does deserve some credit. Any anything to say on Brad? I mean, I think he's another guy that kind of fits that gonna be hard to get into that top fifteen range, yet alone into that top ten. Doesn't mean that he's not talented. Doesn't mean look, if you go out there and you win three straight in the UFC in that division that tells you the quality that's there. But I think there's going to be an upper limit to what he can what he can do. But I think he's going to be a guy that, you know, spends the next three years in really entertaining fights in the middle of fight cards against tough opponents that we, you know, that we always look forward to seeing. Again, it's good work if you can get it. Yeah, those it guys, is. I love dudes like that. Like, those, those are the reasons I look forward to some fight cards. It's just that there's all of those guys in those fights in the prelims where it's like, Oh great. That guy's fighting. I know the next 15 minutes are going to be entertaining. So you can, you can get that carve that niche out for yourself. I think that's where Brad Riddell fits. And, and that's a pretty good life for the next couple of years. I think so too. Manos de Piedra at feet underscore work. Uh, I love hearing from this dude. He goes, honey, Barcelos. Great. We, we've got him uh, Taporia. Okay. Makachev. I, I think is pretty self-explanatory. Jimmy Crute, that, there's one we didn't talk about. I, I like that pick. Uh, I would love to see him in, like, in the future against like the, the uh, what do you call it? What's the Alexander Rakiches of the world, so to speak, right? Uh, kind of a deal. Uh, Murdoff. Anthony Smith in a couple of weeks. There we go. Uh, Mahmoud Murdoff, uh, the well-connected guy over there, uh, the team money the team money middleweight. That's another one. Another good middleweight, Punaheli Soriano. You know I'm not going to hate that pick. A little Southpaw Hawaiian Vitor. Uh, Rafael Fiziev, which we talked about. And lastly, he says, maybe Romanov too, because being big, strong, and weird grappling guy can go a long <laughs> way at heavyweight. I love that being last a one. big, weird, strong grappling dude with like sumo as your base style and nicknamed King Kong and, and catching weird chokes on people. Yeah, he's he's on the, he's part of that. Oh, that dude's fighting. I'm tuning in list. Um there's a few guys on there that, yeah, we, we touched on. I'm not so – I I don't know enough. I haven't been convinced enough of Mahmoud Muradov. I would love to hear your thoughts on, on his upside. He looked good against Andrew Sanchez, but I still haven't seen I, – I need that step up in competition fight for him now. I, I agree. Same here. Um, and I was going to uh, – you know, I, I, 
he was one of the, the bigger bets that cashed for me and a lot of my followers. So I had a lot of appreciation for that guy. However, I do need to see more. That being said, to borrow a term, I believe the guys from Heavy Hands, shout out to them, speak about this a lot. Like, does he really need to be better at one thing? Because that's kind of middleweight. You, 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 you're good at one thing, and that's what gets you gets right. you far gets you far so we'll see there i will mention romanoff because it's similar to your maverick pick I, I like these picks because these are fighters who i scouted early and picked and to and was confident of not just to pick but to play them and so was other people in the betting public because then their matches get called off from covid and when they get rebooked spencer the odds makers magically <laughs> almost as they've been reading our timelines now they're they're asking for one or even two more dollars more on the betting lines in romanoff's case so I'll take that as I'm not crazy that I'm I'm seeing something right that I'm making these odds makers you know and and, and not just me obviously the the general pop uh, you know uh, of, of analysts that uh, making them second guess herself so I think that's good confirmation too when the odds makers are correcting their lines with your For opinion. Sure. Yeah, he's super interesting. Definitely. Um, and then uh, yeah, that that's it. So uh, honorable mentions. Let's let's cut through ours before we get out of here. Um, listeners had theirs. Any that almost made your list that, that haven't been mentioned yet um, that you want to give mention here, go for it, sir. So, there, I mean, we had one shouted, shouted out by, by Alex Behunin there, Miguel Baeza, Carmel Thunder, with a nickname like that. You got to give yes. him props. Yeah. Already got three wins in the UFC, three finishes. Um, definite, definite possibility in, in that division. Great just pick. needs another step up in competition. You just It's one of those situations where you just need to see a little bit more before he can be all the way sold. I've got a few like longer range guys, like Montel Jackson is somebody I've been really interested in since his contender series fight. His losses are to quality competition. He's got really good length for the division. He's got good wrestling. We're seeing the development of his hands. He just hasn't had the experience or faced the competition yet. He's more of a, when we put the cap on, on two years to this, he went to the, to the next list. But he's somebody that three years from now, four years from now, I think could be making some noise in that division. And then at flyweight, a guy like Howley and Paiva. Nice. Um, I love me some guys that are super young but have a ton of experience. Yeah. Uh, his two losses in the UFC are a split decision to Kai Kara France, which was a really close fight. It, it legitimately is one of those fights that if you scored it the other way, I wouldn't argue with you. Yep. And then he lost due to a cut against Rogerio Bontarine. Um, good size for the division, long reach, good pop. And that's, that's a division where I think one or two wins puts you in the mix because it's still pretty fluid and, and getting sorted out. And there aren't as many kind of longstanding tenured veterans in there. I know obviously Joe B still, still around and, and still in that mix, but there's not that collection of guys that you've got to get through like there is at welterweight or featherweight or, or some of the other divisions. So a couple more wins and, and he gets in that mix. But that's those are the, the couple that we didn't touch on. One more, Sean Strickland. I got to give a shout out to nice. Tarzan. Nice. Yeah, People Tarzan. People man, he's 17-0 and 0 at middleweight. Like his losses are at are when he went down to welterweight. I don't know if you've you've ever seen Sean in person or you've paid attention when he's fighting in, in the UFC. He didn't have a lot of business going down to welterweight. There's not a lot of room for him to cut weight to get to 170. I've talked to him a lot. It was a miserable cut. He is much better at, at 85. He's one of those dudes that started really young. He's well-rounded. He's 
fundamentally sound, technically sound everywhere. He's got the right amount of cocky, the right amount of nasty. Just just a guy to just pay a little, just keep an eye on him yep. because he's unbeaten at well at, at middleweight. And and those are things that that kind of just stick out to me of like, wait a minute, he's back at that division. He's never lost to that division. He left for some stupid reason and lost to good competition again. It's not like he went down to welterweight and was getting washed by guys that we didn't pay attention to afterwards. He lost to quality competition. And so as he's back now after two years away, shake off that rust. He got two good wins last year. Definitely somebody I think can can break out through the course of this year. I agree. I'm going to have somebody that's a older vet, kind of a similar uh, on my list. But just to blow through real quick, the only thing I'll touch on your list, because I agree with everything, I'll just jump off that Strickland note to your Jackson note, because I think the same criticism is lobbied to Jackson. It's, it, it's not that I'm hating on Jackson or people that are high on him, but Montel Jackson above Sean O'Malley is amongst many, especially a bantamweight, because um, it's more pronounced. But the common thread, it's, it's tall guys cutting weight. You're already stripping down. Yep. And, and you're yep. doing something like weight cutting. And Montel Jackson's at the wrong weight class. I'm sorry. He yep. is taller than every 45er. He has a, a <laughs> way longer reach than every 45er. Right. He is taller and longer reach. Uh, he is He's taller than half of 55. And he has longer right. reach than 80% of 55, 90% of 155. What is the guy doing fighting at 135? It makes no damn sense. He looks impressive, you know, in the first, you know, few seconds of a round. He can get anybody out of there. But what happens after that, which is why, you know, Brett Johns, props to him. We mentioned him earlier. Yeah. So uh, not, I, I love Montel Jackson, not Essen on that. I just, I feel like you yeah, laid out, it, you it laid out the point team. perfectly with Sean Strickland. Like that's, yeah. that's my theory. I feel like we're going to see everything yeah. you guys are talking about with Jackson if he moves up to 45. But to 45 or even 55, somewhere yep. on the line. Yeah. I'm going to blow through real quick before we get out of here. Um, Adrian Yanez is one of those that just came up on mine because recency bias. I'm sure he's going to pop up for a lot of people. Um, yep. excited to watch him. You mentioned Marvin Vittori. Um, he's a little bit too high on the rankings, but you could see a path for him. However, I wrote in parentheses Whitaker, and I still think Whitaker is the guy that's uh, going to be stopping him and a lot of people from making those middleweight runs. Stop, he's going to stop a lot of dudes from getting getting to that 85 title shot. Exactly, exactly. Although I do like that Strickland shot, by the way. Um, but my Strickland shot, I guess you could mention him because he's got the H to his name. I put Giannis with the other H. Uh, guys that were really close for whatever reason. I know Yanez is not a lot to bank off there. That's another far-reaching one. But but Neil Dariush, goddammit. And I wrote Sans Gaethje next to his name because with this improvement, I feel like I, I feel like I like him. I think he's going to beat Tony Ferguson, and that's going to be a great matchup to launch him. And I know lightweight's crazy, but you, you can't deny a man at a certain point. I think he can get himself into those talks if he can avoid Gaethje. And I know that the rumors of Gaethje that he didn't work his jiu-jitsu and those rumors almost looked to be true as soon as someone got past that first layer, which was Khabib. And that being said, um, I don't think it's going to be that easy to take him down. And I'm somebody who pointed to that as I picked Khabib over Gaethje. And not only did I pick Dariush over uh, Fajeda, I was probably one of the only people, which doesn't make sense considering all you have to do is watch the first fight to look at Dariush's wrestling that he does have. He just hasn't leaned on it as much lately. Yeah. But the guy can wrestle. So I'm yep. not underestimating Dariush here. I'm one of the only people that was estimating him properly. That being said, I, I feel like Gaethje could be his kryptonite. But I do feel like there is a small pathway for him to kind of blow from number seven or wherever he's at to that title shot. Well, and he's the guy that 
back to that sort of Grant Dawson thing of needing to have the wrestling to mm-hmm. get into the grappling to set up sort of the next chain of events. He has it, and he's worked really hard with with the Kings MMA team to to improve that striking because mm-hmm. that was a piece that was missing at at the first start of his UFC career. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people got off the bandwagon yeah. when he had that bad run. And it look, it's a bad run. The part that doesn't show up when you wiki him or when you pull him up on topology or shirt dog is that he had terrible injuries, he had a terrible neck injury. He wasn't able to train the way that he needs to train and the way that you need to in order to compete at the highest level. Look, he lost to Edson Barbosa and he got knocked out by Alexander Hernandez, who, you know, fake glove tap and then lands lands a big bomb. This sport, anybody can get caught. We've seen it too many times to, yep. to hold it against somebody. And losing to Edson Barbosa when you're on the come up isn't the end of the world. He's shown it. That's a great pick. I, I agree with you that he's a guy that can go out. And, and I said it, I think Shaheen Al-Shadi tweeted out. He, he was super excited about that fight. And exactly what you said, that this is the opportunity for Barneel Daryush to get that that push. And my response was, I just hope people don't start on the, yeah, but Tony's washed. Because yes, we, can't yeah. start, we can't start devaluing victories just at a point after we've we've used it to value guys. Absolutely. Like I was worried about yep. with, with Vicente Luque coming out of that Tyron Woodley fight. I, I didn't want him to win and people to say, oh, but Woodley. We saw a great performance from Tyron Woodley, a different version of him in that fight to come out and, and land and have Luque hurt. And so I'm, I'm happy that Luque got that rub that he deserves. I hope Daryush gets it if he gets the victory against Tony Ferguson. Love that pick. Yep. Uh, Ben's Bantamweight, I just wrote Marab, uh, Devajvili, and Kyler Phillips. I wouldn't have been mad if anybody tried to make arguments there. Uh, not too much to say on either guy. I still feel like there's a lot um, you know, that, that, that needs to be done and, and ground to be game. Uh, not even to mention the Aljo situation and, and that tie-in. Yeah. Um, men's flyweight, I just wrote down Suma Derji. Nothing like I'm I'm, I'm hanging yeah. my hat on. Uh, he still has oh. a lot of development, but let's be honest, a, a striker, Big Asian Suma market. Yeah, they would. You could see them put. You know, there's not there's not, there's not a, a lot of people to jump over at flyweight either. So there's a little bit of yeah. that in there, sure. Um, speaking of Asian talent, Yan Xiaonan, uh, she's granted she's three at UFC and six over right. at Junkie, but she's just someone that's people aren't talking about and we're probably going to have a Chinese standoff because uh, I pretty much take her over everybody except uh, Weili, uh, Zhang Weili. So, yep. Yan Zhaonan, if she was... Yeah, love those two picks. Uh, Amanda Lemos also, uh, she's having a late resurgence. People look at that Leslie Smith fight that was like short notice and like two divisions up against someone who now fights at 45. But Lemos has actual skill, uh, striking skill going forward and off the back foot, plus that athleticism and, and mature female power that can take you uh, t- that could take you a minute uh, or could take you a, a ways. Um, I wrote Kayla ha- Harrison at 145 to be cheeky because I'm seeing her in 145 rankings. Um, and then I, I wrote, you know, it was funny. I was looking at Bellator rankings and they don't have uh, the Volstan, uh, Yagji Muradov in there. He's a guy in the bracket. He's the least familiar guy in the bracket. And he's not even on their rankings, which is funny. <laughs> and I don't, I don't have him winning the tournament, but the way the brackets are set up, like, I actually feel like he's the most value as far as a betting dark horse for that side of the bracket because I could actually see him upsetting his side of the bracket to get to the finals, which technically 
would put him in title contention. So right. um, I did yeah. have, I did find that kind of odd. This guy has a good record. He's only lost to guys like uh, Magomed Ankalaev, who I had on my list, and this guy was an ACA champion himself. So that was kind of weird from the uh, – again, not throwing shade at the random people on the rankings panel, and it's not up to every. It's, it has to be a collective choice. Right. So that's why I, I warn anybody about throwing shade about panels at, at the panels or panelists. But I did find that one odd. Um, Dalton Rasta is also not on the Bellator middleweight rankings, and I would he is really raw. He was on my 2021 uh, Dark Horses for Bellator to watch out for. I didn't yeah. pick anybody from that list because uh, Shabley and uh, Burnell weren't signed at that time. Otherwise, they would have been on that list when I wrote it. Um, so I didn't cheat and just, just pick from that list. But Dalton Rasta, I, I pick him to beat like half the people on um, Bellator's middleweight. So something to watch for there. And lastly, he's only like 2-0. and uh, But I put him pretty high on that Bellator list, which is Cody Law at bantamweight. This guy, similar to the Armin Sarukian, this guy actually had amateur boxing as well as was like a two divi- a Division two national champ as well as a Division one yeah. All-American. This guy moves so damn smooth on the feet. Like, I can just see it, and he's just got the tools ready. I'm like, this guy's slipping. He can counter. He can shoot off the back foot. He can strike off the front foot. He can shoot off the front foot. I'm like, holy crap. That alone, that key base, and as smooth as he does it. Oh, and then he's got like, already got smart showing Khabib folk-style rides on the floor. Holy crap. Cody Law is a guy that is super far, but I'm going to go ahead and put a pin in him. you got to watch that kid. And that's it for me. Yeah. The thing with Bellator that that always kind of, not worries me, but that I always get that little hair on the back of your neck standing up with some of these younger guys that come in is just the lack of depth always seems to catch up to them. And it doesn't mean that they're not going to get to where they could be. But whereas the UFC, you you have that opportunity to get four or five fights before you're getting into the meat of the division. We've seen with so many of these different wrestlers that they've signed. And, mm-hmm. and the name, obviously, that jumps out is Ed Ruth. Ed Ruth. Oh, yeah, totally. You, yeah, you go on a great start, and then too quickly, you're in a little bit too deep. And then one loss becomes two. And there's not a real chance to reset. And then you're changing divisions. and it's a, And so... I think all the people you mentioned are are absolutely terrific long-term prospects. And I hope the opportunity is there, as we talked about with so many of these athletes, that they get to come along at a smart pace, at a chance to yes. develop and improve and kind of with their long-term future in mind and, and not the short-term returns. I think that sums up this episode kind of perfectly is that we, you know, we can we can we can count and what what we're right on to varying degrees. That's going to be the case no matter who we'd have on this panel, uh, no matter at what point we're discussing this volatile sport like MMA. So I guess all you can hope for is to spot these talents and hope the promotion management are not just spotting these talents but handling them properly because yep. management or promotion alone, much less both in conjunction, we've seen it ruin many careers, push many too fast. Just because this guy is a wrestler, that's a great Ed Ruth case. That doesn't mean, you know, uh, he's going to be a guaranteed success. I, you know, Ed Ruth's really small for that, his divisions that he competes in as well. I, I saw him, I thought he was small for welterweight um, even, you know. And, and and uh, but yeah, you know, we'll, we'll see where these guys where these guys end up. You just, you don't want to put a, a stake in them too early, you know, like the Benil Daryushas or the uh, Sean Stricklands of the world that we both mentioned will we'll, we'll point to you. However, there's a lot of new up-and-coming talent and around, you know, I tried to be hipster, even look toward PFL or otherwise, but, uh, you know, I didn't not end up on Bell Tour by mistake. There's there's some talent over there that, that, that I think we should keep an eye on. Up. 
Yeah, but obviously this is UFC centric for a reason because most of our sport is UFC is, is the top dog. I mean, there's really there's really no denying that. That being said, I feel like we did a good job of spreading the love around in this episode. Would you say so, Spencer? Yeah, I think so for sure. I mean, I think it it speaks to the amount of talent that's out there that you know we could we could go for another hour talking about the names in in one and in the PFL that we both think are interesting to watch long term, but. This is the best. I mean, I say it all the time, and I know it's it's hard to be a fan sometimes because of the amount of stuff that's available. But this is the best it's ever been. Like the level of talent, the depth of talent across these divisions, it's never been better. And, and to me, as from a fan standpoint, not just somebody that covers a sport, this is this is what I'm in in it for. And and to see it continue growing like this and continuing to get deeper. And so, for me, this is this has been terrific. And and it, I look forward to seeing. Where our where our picks shake out and revisiting this in the next yeah. eighteen to twenty four months. Yeah, well, it, it's a long episode, so if someone wants to dig it up, they'll have to, to to bury us. They'll have to do some digging, and we'll have to burn some calories if we want to pat ourselves on the back because this is one of the longest episodes we did. Hopefully, my file size can take it. So if I sound rushed toward the end here, I apologize. This has honestly been an awesome episode, though. As long as it is, I can confidently say without listening back to it, there's a lot of useful information in here. Hopefully, you guys found it useful as well. So before we get out of here, just again, at Spencer Kite on Twitter. And Spencer, anything you want to plug, remind people about, whether it's your writings over at UFC.com, your Substack, the floor is yours. Yeah, as you said, just uh, the Substack, SpencerKite.Substack.com, the Keyboard Kimura newsletter. Try to write it a few times a week. Uh, get some preview stuff out. Get some post-fight stuff out before and after every UFC event. And then the easiest is just Twitter, at Spencer Kite. I shamelessly promote everything that I do. And so if, if I did it, you will see it there. Well, give this guy a follow. He's very useful. This episode didn't already prove it. Um, I'm looking forward to having you back on. I'm going to assume that you want to be back on because uh, you're a great guest, Spencer. So uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode and this week of content. I hit you with three episodes this week. Uh, always feel free to revisit this one to see how you did, how we did. And until next time, protect your neck. Oh,